we'll start with saying that this episode in Fire and Blood, early on, of course, there's probably some, there's still a lot of people who haven't finished the book yet and, and people who are still kind of digesting all the material. But as far as early returns go, this incident slash episode slash quest slash adventure of Alyssa Farman and Sunchaser is definitely appearing to be one of the most popular, one of the most fun, one of the most talked about uh, things so far in Fire and Blood. I'd say maybe, Shea, would that apply to you? Is this maybe one of your favorite parts in the book too? No, oh, definitely. I mean, I like all the exploration. I yeah, mean, me too. That's why I like the Corlys Valerian stuff and the Alan Oak Oakenfist. And um, anyways, I like those characters in particular. And Alyssa Farman is no um, exception there. But plus, she has the added benefit for me of it being very gay. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yeah, I like I said um, in past weeks, we are going to try to pick up where we left off usually. But sometimes we can't do that because we're going to try to match up the topic with the guest. And also because as it always is with A Song of Ice and Fire and A Song of Ice and Fire extended material like this, there's usually so much going on even at one time. So even if we're focusing on just one chapter, well, there's like four or five different stories going on. We talked about Aurea Targaryen quite a lot last week and, uh, well, and the week and two weeks before that, really. And honestly, this all happens about at the same time as this Sun Chaser stuff. So just that's just a good example of two really awesome stories happening concurrently, but not having a whole lot to do with each other. But they do have a little something to do with each other, as we'll see moving through it. So I'll, let me re reintroduce our guest here, LML. Hey. How are you doing, sir? And tell us what you're doing, what you're up to, and rank roughly where this Sun Chaser episode falls for you in the in the pantheon of, of new stories and adventures that we've gotten. Oh, it's number one. Heck it's yeah. absolutely <laughs> number one. There's no question. I was, I was just basically when I was listening to fire and blood, once I got the first glimpses of where the story was going, I was just like, give me more Alyssa. Where's Alyssa Farman? Like, I, give me, give, give me, I don't want to hear this Jahari stuff. <laughs> I mean, Jahari's was great, but no, this is, this is a show stealer for sure. I was, we started chatting while you were having difficulties. I was chatting with the chat about, just the the tinfoil that this story tends to spawn you know any ideas of circumnavigation or northern passage where maybe the others came down in essos like this is the stuff of deep tinfoil and bulletin mm -hmm. board uh theorized <laughs> yeah i can't I wait to so. see it's what everybody else almost, comes uh, with there's been a lot of theories about Alyssa farman actually it, i don't really subscribe to a lot of them but there have been yeah so we'll uh, chat about them a bit. this is that yep. fun time when all these ideas come out at once <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so what am I doing? I guess that's yeah. Go like, ahead, hit us with that. Can you hear me? Okay, or is it? I I can. Hear seems you like okay. maybe there's a little bit of a lag. Okay, so uh, you asked. I went right into the topic. You actually asked me what I was doing. Um, so on my channel, <laughs> we've been doing. Uh, well, I mean, let, just this past Sunday, we did a fun stream together, me and you, Aziz, and we talked about the Great Empire of the Dawn and how culture and perhaps. You know, people fleeing the empire might have shaped the rise of the Dothraki and the Sarnori civilizations, and their influence might have been felt in Karth. And we just went on a big detective hunt, so that was a great bit of fun. If you like, uh, oh, no, I need to be louder. Oh, okay, <laughs> I can accommodate you there. Um, so if you like the Great Empire of the Dawn, which of course is kind of uh, what put me on the map, our collaboration that we did a, you know, a couple of years ago with Z's, then definitely check that out if you missed it. And uh, otherwise, uh, lately I've been exploring the green seer symbolism of Daenerys Targaryen, which is definitely confounding and interesting. Very cool. Right on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're always doing lots of good stuff, lots of unique stuff. It's not um, 
Yeah, a lot like hardly anyone does the kinds of things you do. So everybody appreciates your uh, unique takes on things. Mm -hmm. um, and this episode, in particular, we're going to get. Uh, I know this episode, the Lissa Farman's adventures have plenty of symbolism to go with them. So you're going to be adding quite a lot to this, I'm sure. Um, we've got a super chat from Marvin Martin, uh, aka Marvin the Martian. <laughs> Fireworms have faces and hands, and the high towers describe the Krakens as having hands. Another chimera or sea worm or something else? Thoughts? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, yeah, this is this is sort of a a new exploration. This whole topic of fireworms, we've heard about them before, but we don't we didn't know about the possibility that they might have hands. That's completely new. <laughs> so, wow. Um, I don't. I don't read it necessarily that way. That the Krakens had hands, or that they maybe just that they were pulling it under. Uh, did you guys take it that way? They had actual hands. No, I didn't take that quote. No, they had actual hands. Um, what is? What was the line? I, I think I even put it in the document here. Now I'm curious. They said they did they. I'm trying to think of what the exact word was. Anyways, you guys can keep going, but I am curious. Cool. Well, we'll either we'll definitely come back to the Kraken topic one way or the other, uh, as well as talking uh, chimeras and sea worms. Uh, I'll bring up a reference to that. We did finish writing our Gagasos episode, which deals very heavily with exactly that topic. It's it's the first. Scripted, oh, dude, I'm dying to hear that episode, man. Right. It's the first scripted episode that, that we have that includes fire and blood material. So that's. Uh, Partly why it's exciting, but also, yeah, we're talking about fireworms. We talk about the Targaryen alter uh, Targary Targaryens altering themselves. We talk about how that might apply to what the others are doing yeah. with other humans and half-human others and all that business. So it, it should be really fun. It's 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 a bit pretty speculative, pretty uh, high magicy, but also uh, really cool. I hope. Um, Have another super chat. From Thomas Pappas, can we wish David Bowie a happy birthday? Always, of course. Well, yeah, why not? Sure, yeah. There's a star man <laughs> waiting in the sky. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Happy birthday, David Bowie. And speaking of birthdays, last time we wished Tommy a happy birthday, and he felt the love and very generously sponsored several people himself to be patrons of History of Westeros. So... That's something I suggested to Patreon. They should have that feature. Allows you to sponsor someone else. That's pretty cool. I imagine they would want that. So uh, very gracious, uh, very grateful we are for you, Tommy. Thanks for that. And uh, yeah. Aziz? Yeah. Could I get just real quickly? I want to address Marvin uh, the Martian's question yeah. about the fireworms. Yes, uh, please do. Yeah, I forgot uh, to get your take on uh, that. Just, well, not the entire take, but just general general take is that I feel like Martin is continuing to develop the idea that the Valerians engaged in every kind of blood magic experiment, genetic crossing experiment, humans and animals, dragons and humans. Basically what I'm seeing is that like these experiments went all over the place. And I'm sure you're going to get into that, into the Gagasos episode, obviously, but this is basically another thing. Like they also created parasites that are magical. They could be the same as the fireworms that tunnel through the ground. There could be a mutation Maybe it's like a xenomorph thing where this parasite is combining with the DNA of Araya, and that's why it has hands and a face. I mean, there's who knows? I mean, George kind of wants to basically cause our imaginations to run wild and think of the darkest possibilities. So that's that's what this story is designed to do. But I think eventually it's going to lead to enough clues to where we can figure out how the blood of the dragon was created. I believe that he will give us the clues we need to figure that out before the story's over. It's one of the biggest mysteries yeah, of the story really. I agree. I don't think he'll spell it out explicitly like all these magic things. I'm sure you agree. We're not going to get like a definitive narrator. Like a maester's going to no. write like a treatise on exactly how this works. But 
it's interesting to note, um, like you said here, that this stuff is kind of known about the Valyrians that they do this sort of this this genetic magic stuff. Septon Barth, the Array incident, is what pushed Septon Barth towards that research. But he already knew, as we see in Fire and Blood, he already knew that the Valyrians made twisted abominations and such before he dug into uh, dragons, worms, and wyverns and writing all those books that he ended up writing. So he he knew that before digging into the rabbit hole. So it was at least somewhat common knowledge, at least among the learned. Um, probably not among the common folk, but hey. Uh, so w- while we have you, LML, before we get too deep, uh, um, I want to get your take on something we talked about in a prior episode, uh, just briefly, because it's right up your alley. Septon Moon is a topic that we discussed a bit over the last couple episodes, and we had a, a chat, we had a question from Duran Durandin, who I know is a, a follower of your show as well, and he mentioned um, the Septon Moon Garth Greenhand connection, and we didn't get into that discussion very much. It is a great connection. I had recalled discussing it on your show, which is probably why it kind of slipped my mind to talk about it on ours. Felt like I'd already talked about it, but it's a great little uh, connection. So if you could real quick uh, um, enlighten us. Well, all he's lacking is antlers and green skin. Basically, he's got all the other stuff like he makes everyone pregnant simply by like being around them. Everyone brings their children to him just to be touched. They bring their maiden daughters to him to be impregnated. So it's like I mean, it's it's almost over the top comical, the like virility of Septon Moon. And it's definitely a strong Garth parallel. And of course, the whole um, horned god Cernunos mythology behind Garth the Green has a lot to do with the moon and ritual sacrifice by the light of the moon and the sickle moon symbolism and stuff like that. So with him getting his uh, throat cut, that was a big uh, you know, nod to that sort of sacrificial thing. And then, of course, the idea of he's a moon character who then goes around. It says he's like staggering around, bleeding into all the campfires. So you get the <laughs> whole like blood and fire pouring out of the moon kind of a thing. So he's doing a simultaneous thing where he's like a, a Garth fertility character, just like Robert. Um, but he's also sacrificed in a very symbolically significant way, just like Robert is. And then you get the whole moon symbolism of blood and fire pouring out of the dying moon. And a woman screaming, of course, that's the Nissa Nissa scream that cracked the moon. She runs out of the tent screaming as he staggers out bleeding. So it's it's pretty good stuff. I like how you chose staggers, not stumbles or anything. Staggers. It has to be staggers. Yes. <laughs> Well-chosen words there, sir. <laughs> I'm a stag man waiting in the sky. Sorry. So we got a, one question that was uh, posed from last week's episodes. We have questions from people that we um, have incorporated throughout this episode. But one question from last week refers to the Targaryen retcon, uh, family tree retcon. Now, one clever commenter pointed out that Viserys would be in the mix as far as the co- the, the current storyline, or was, obviously. And how did that factor into the tree retcon from prior to the Dance of the Dragons? Well, it does. It actually does figure in. Not, not quite as directly. Uh, Viserys, in the case of the past family tree, is the one that ended up being king after all of Jaehaerys and Alysanne's reign ended. Uh, and he was not truly the heir to the throne for more than maybe an hour or two because he was he was really a claimant to the throne. His family was overthrown, so he wasn't the heir, <laughs> unless you want to include the maybe couple of days between Rhaegar's death and Aerys's death, because you know typically the if your the first son dies before the king dies, it passes to the second son 
not the son of the first son. That's where some of these succession things get a little tricky. Anyway, the point isn't for these things to all have one-to-one -one relationships, obviously. If George were just writing the same story twice, that would be, well, that wouldn't be fun at all. That would be repetitive and boring. The point is that he, he sneaks some of these things in there and uh, makes it stand out in different ways. Real quick, did you guys, either you guys want to weigh in, weigh in on the, uh, the, the retcon? Did you have anything to say about that? Or was that, did you think we covered it pretty well? Either um, you or Shea or, uh... I, I, I guess I think you covered it pretty well. I just have to say that I really do think that Aaron is a terrible name and that's reason enough for him to change it. Um, <laughs> anyways, that's my Aaron, name. yes. Yeah, Aaron Targaryen. I agree. I'm not a big it's... fan personally. So yeah, I, I think it was Lady Gwyn who said she felt that way and I completely agreed. <laughs> it's funny because there's a lot of people on Westeros.org who, who like that name, who were like, oh, Aaron, we barely knew ye. Yeah. I'm with you though. I, I think it's like how... In fact, later in this episode, I mentioned that George is a bit trolly for calling, making an Alyssa, an Alyssa, and an Elissa. Yeah. And Elissa, Alyssa. Yeah, it's just, it's like he made, it, it. it's the same as this name. Like if he had had a Darren and just named, spelled it U-N instead of O-N, like it would be the same kind of thing. It's like, wait, that still sounds the same, even though it's spelled differently. So yeah. it's actually a really pretty name though, A-E-R-Y-N. I don't, I am not against that name in general. I just don't like that name for that tar, for Targaryen. I like how it looks. I don't like how it, it just sounds like Aaron though, which is nothing wrong with the name Aaron. It just that's. A, I really want an Aaron. Aaron is what I'd love. <laughs> so there, there's, Aaron, a whole, yeah. there's a whole word tree with Aaron, Euron, Arion, yeah. Orion. Uh, that yeah. he's so there's there might be like Aaron is kind of like Aries to me. It's just like a, a female version of Aries. Anyways, I, I don't in that sense it's fine, but I still just want Aaron. Aaron. So uh, Kelly and Kelly looks like a super chat from Adam Hofschild. A, a Ron. <laughs> First time seeing the show live. All you guys are awesome. Thanks. He's his nickname is Tormund Giants Wang. <laughs> Good nickname there. And thanks for the super chat. Okay, so let's uh, see. I had like one or two other announcements. A couple of fun things have happened outside in the fandom sphere. Uh, hey, one of th Aziz, yeah. while you do your announcements, I'm going to flip my screen off for like three minutes. Is that cool? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, take it away. So we have one of them is that news came out that George R. Martin, his parentage is different than he thought, which is just so wonderfully ironic given all the fake parentage he's written about and in, in not just A Song of Ice and Fire, but some of his other works that that <laughs> that thing has come up once or twice. And uh, so that's just hilarious that it, it looks as if maybe uh, his grandmother cheated on his grandfather and they're just now finding out. And apparently that show is tomorrow on PBS. The, the news had leaked already that this that this happened, but the, the episode hasn't aired yet. It's on PBS tomorrow. And it's it's so funny that George R. Martin is on alongside Andy Samberg of the Lonely Island. And that's just, I, I'm just tickled by the fact that George R. R. Martin <laughs> is doing something with Andy Samberg. It's just like 10, 12 years ago, that just would have been. I mean, Seth Meyers has been knighted by by George R. R. Martin. So, <laughs> you know, it, he's it, well in that SNL crowd, true. I think, while Amy Poehler pulls out the sword. That's one of my favorite. He's videos. fully mainstream. It just doesn't yes. cease to amuse me that these uh, are happening. <laughs> You're totally right, though. Um, also, uh, so that definitely check that out if you're interested. We're going to probably uh, at least see see what the uh, the result is of all that. Uh, see what George's reaction is to finding out that he's he's Ashikani 
I can't say that word properly. Jewish, not Ashkenazi. Uh, and, and, and possibly not Italian. Ashkenazi, yeah. I didn't know what you were trying to even say. With yeah, that. that is what I was trying to say. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> what is that word? I was like, okay. Dang it. I'm like, I, I should be able to say that word easily. And I'm like, wait, sure, why can't that's I? That's what I am, Aziz. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's part of why I should be able to say very it. Very offended right now. I've only ever read it and written it. I've These never said Russ, it out loud, I guess. Russian Jews. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, we have the other cool news about The Long Night, right, that we wanted to talk about. Absolutely. But there was some good um, casting news there, like a whole bunch of people were announced. We've already had some, and we were, and there's not really much spoilers or anything if you're conscious of that, but still a good sense of, of what might be in the show, because there's a bunch of black actors that they added, so it makes us wonder, you know, are we going to see Summer Islanders? Is there more interaction between Westeros and the Summer Islands at this time period, or maybe they're from somewhere else? Because they're are you know other like Sothorios and other um people of color around there but there's some great actors in there like Ivano Jeremiah who's in that great show Humans and he was in Black Mirror um what's his Alex Sharp who was in How to Talk to Girls at Parties which was a great sci-fi film um people from historical dramas like Toby Regbo and um Jamie Last Kingdom, Bowers. Yeah. yeah so uh, who else? Oh, Naomi Aki, who was in this great show by Desiree Aquavon, the bisexual, and she's also going to be in Star Wars Episode Nine. So she's blowing up. Um, but really, just uh, some really interesting people that they've cast. I think um, it certainly made my mind start to think about it. Right on. Just a couple of super chats. Mm -hmm. One from Fred Targaryen's Uncle Daddy. That's a great name, by the way. He mm -hmm. says, "Dragons rule, kneelers drool." Rock on, guys. Thank you, sir. We will. We will continue to do that. Also, another from Marvin Martian. Speaking of family names, Prince Aegon called Phaegon, F-A-E, being magical beings weak to iron, as in fey like fairy. <laughs> magical beings on an iron throne slowly killing them off in one way or another, coincidence or not. I also think of Fae and doing like changelings and stuff like that, oh, yeah. <laughs> as it so happens. That is a really cool catch, but I think it is probably coincidence because Fagon is a fan name. I don't yeah, think George yeah, has ever, I don't think he's ever said that. uttered that term. Fake Aegon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Someone else brings up Georgie Henley. She was in Chronicles of Narnia. I didn't mention her, but anyways. Oh, yeah. There's the casting. Yeah. They've gotten a good mix of people who have been in period pieces, some fantasy, and some sci-fi, I think, um, who have like some clout within nerddom. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it's too soon to, to be sure, but I'm pretty optimistic about the Long Night Show. Um, the casting looks very good. It looks like they're going to be creative. Um, yeah, really what matters to me more than anything is the people creating it. Um, to be fair, the directors and writers. Yeah. And we don't have a lot of that. We have one director who's done some stuff, but nothing really to like. You're right. Make me like, yes, I'm on board with anything this person does. So, yeah, uh, it remains to be said, you know, in general, I, I feel like they can't mess it up too, too horribly. But I, I'll I'll really be confident when I see what other writers they have. I'm with you there. I, I, I'm definitely more. It's, I, I would say it's more of a cautious optimism, but also it's 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 bolstered by the fact that HBO just does have a great track record. I mean, not obviously they've made some mistakes, but they have a very solid. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm definitely taking <laughs> part in that. <laughs> Okay, let us move on. Um, for more news, uh, yeah, for more news about the casting spinoffs, the casting of the spinoff, and any other stuff like season eight rumors, etc., check out Watchers on the Wall, uh, WatchersOnTheWall.com. And uh, Sean and I had did an appearance on Night's Cast uh, several weeks ago, oh, yeah. um, and that was fun. Mm -hmm. Night's Cast is the f official Watchers on the Wall podcast, which is fairly new. It's uh, you know, launched in 2018. You have me on, and you don't ask me what I have going on. <laughs> 
That's so rude, Aziz. Well, actually, you do have a guest appearance do, coming exactly. up. I was going to mention that. Okay, I'm going to be on Girls Gone Canon. Um, I think we're recording this Sunday, and they'll get that out whenever they want to. Cool, so yeah. I will be on that talking about Sansa slash Elaine. That's very cool. Yeah, you had um, we had Chloe on uh, last week, and that was really good. And we're going to have Eliana on in a few weeks as well. So lots of crossover between History of Westeros and Girls Gone Canon going on. Uh, also, if you missed the announcement a few months ago, History of Westeros is now on Spotify. And if you use Spotify, you throw us a subscribe over there. Uh, and maybe you prefer listening using Spotify to listen to your podcasts. Now, that's an option. Fire and Blood, of course, is available on Audible. Dot com, which is owned by Amazon. You can get a free pair of downloads by going to historyofwesteros.com and clicking on the Audible link. Those two downloads are, like I said, are free. You get to keep them even if you don't stay with the subscription. And hey, Fire and Blood on audio is pretty cool. Are we on TuneIn now or whatever on Amazon for Amazon Alexa? Is that in the works? I... Haven't checked? I submitted us to it, but I don't know if we're on yet. It should We've have been found out automatic. That it's, uh, Amazon, uh, you know, Echo, those Echo Dots, they have a podcast app, TuneIn, and we were a TuneIn, right? Yeah, TuneIn. And we were not on it, so hopefully that'll be happening. Yeah, most of the other shows are on TuneIn, and we're not. Most of the other, so I get, that's kind of an oversight on our part, but we should be on there now. Um, anyway, okay, so let us, uh, let's get into this, the beginning of the Alyssa Farman topic. Wait for whatever this surprise is that LML has for us. Oh, yeah, maybe he's got some new costume or something. Well, we'll start, I'll start off with just some history and background on the House Farman and Alyssa, so he'll have plenty of time to get, get ready still. (laughs) So, of course, she calls herself Alice Westhill later, but, uh, at first she's Alyssa Farman. Alice Westhill is just a pseudonym that she takes later. Uh, a little bit about House Farman. She is from House Farman, and they are... She likes to stay far from men. <laughs> hey, good. that's true. And they have... Uh, they live on Fair Isle, which is the only island in the West, and it is a very cool place. Oh, yeah. Uh, we want a map shot of that now, we, don't we? We do. We have we a nice do. map shot of Fair Isle. Here we go. Yeah, here it is there. Like like most island people, especially ruling houses, the Farmans are sailors. And in this case, we're the quote says that they have sailed the Western Seas since the Dawn Age. So this family has been sailing in the area quite a while. But as you can see from the map that Ashea has got up there. Very precarious spot. <laughs> yeah, that is... the Iron Islands just above. <laughs> yeah, that is a dangerous place to be sailing around since the Dawn Age, because the Ironborn have been around there since then, too. So, you don't sail lightly in that area. So, you got what, what's, what we would say is a, a group of tough sailors, because mm-hmm. they know that they have to deal with the Ironborn. It's kind of like Bear Island, where it's just a way of life. You know that the Ironborn are... A threat that could come on you any minute. Mm-hmm. Their house motto is the wind our steed. Yeah, we learned that. That's that new information, yeah. That was yeah. new information. I thought that was nice. And uh, the Red Kraken is going to conquer Fair Isle prior to the dance, of the, or during the Dance of the Dragons, and then hold it until afterwards. And I'm pretty sure he was assassinated on Fair Isle when they were coming to take it back. So, well, there was no battle for it. He just, uh, he just died, and that was that. Uh, so... Even though the Farmans are a seafaring people, people of Fair Isle are seafaring people, Alyssa is exceptional, even taking that into account. Like, she's a a sailor amongst sailors. Like, she really stands out. Um, And uh, she had this interest and ambition in 
sailing and using like her talent more than just about I like anybody. This, I think this was a beautiful quote. I think it really shows how, you know, George really liked all this all this seafaring stuff and I would I think he could write and write about it. Yeah, please read but, it. But uh, this quote was one of my favorites from the book actually. Her dreams were full of sundering rivers and windswept plains and towering mountains with their shoulders in the clouds, of green islands verdant in the sun, of strange beasts no man had tamed, and queer fruits no man had tasted, of golden cities shining underneath strange stars. I just yeah, very evocative, and just shows that she's a big dreamer, and uh, George is too. <laughs> that reminds me of Lovecraft, the way that's written too, about yeah. how his he's some of his wandering characters have. have I think it's interesting imagined. that Gildane wrote that flowery thing as well, right? <laughs> Gildane, I think, was a little taken by the these these uh, explorers. Perhaps. Yeah, Gildane likes the idea of traveling and exploring the horizon. It's a <laughs> romantic thing for sure. It's it's almost it's a really cool idea, but to have the actual bravery and ambition to do it is just like whoa that's just <laughs> everyone wants to know what's west of westeros but only a couple people have the the bravery oh he's back and he's horny <laughs> yes i'm thematically horny whoa I've nice got to my... whoa in the backdrop yes yeah ready to chase the sun that's hell yeah that is cool changing the backdrop takes a good five minutes i had to get the steam cleaner out and get it all <laughs> in fact here let me uh let me just tilt this up a little there we go that's there awesome. we go so All right. Cool. <laughs> wow. Well, now I'm in the spirit. This yeah, was the cost of me getting in late. I didn't have the right, uh, you know. Backdrop going and outfit. There's a backdrop for all occasions. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> very so we were just talking about the little bit of background on House Farman and getting into how a special Alyssa was from an early age. Uh, as we will see, it takes a lot to do what she did. We, we talk about our, we've already mentioned her ambition and that she was a sailor among sailors, but doing accomplishing what she did takes more than that. You got to, you got to have charisma. You got to have vision. You got to have sh the shipbuilding skills. I mean, that part <laughs> of this money. Was, yeah. yeah. And money. Yeah. Yes. That was a huge part of this. And you need a lot of money because as we'll see, people are not easily convinced to sail into the horizon, into nothing. Like yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I did reason. do some research into like female explorers and stuff. And there's definitely a ton of female explorers, but in terms of female ship captains, that's far less common. Um, it's really not very common at all. There are plenty of women that have circumnavigated the globe and have traveled really far extents, but a lot of them were not captains of their own ship or, you know, by any means in, re in the real world I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so Alyssa Farman is ahead of the game. That's partly um, an effect. I listen to the Pirate History podcast quite a lot. It's one of my favorite shows and he's gotten into this very topic which is that it used to be a superstition having women yeah. on board was a superstition yeah, a lot just... of them would disguise themselves exactly <laughs> uh and bonnie disguised herself uh, mary, mary reed. reed disguised herself um so it's mm -hmm. kind of like danny flint but on a boat <laughs> yeah there's also a lot of women who joined the navy and like military operations and like pretended, that yeah and pretended to be men so they, they were, you know there were lots of women explorers mm -hmm. became, there, there started to be a bit more once you know anthropology and stuff like that mm -hmm. um spread as women were able to do kind of the soft sciences as they're called um word got out word got out that women could like think and stuff <laughs> <laughs> but only is only, only anthropology don't let them do hard science <laughs> and of course it bears mention anytime we talk about female uh sailors and such that the most successful pirate of all time was a woman by far <laughs> it is not close Look, it's, she, was, she was Chinese, so Chin she's not super well known. Right. And yeah, Chin Shi. Uh, and there's not there's a history on fire, a, 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 which is a history show that we did a collaboration with uh, early last year, about a year ago, almost exactly. 
did a full episode on Chin Chi, uh, History on Fire is the name of the show. And uh, it's I think it's episode 25 or 28 or something like that. Really fantastic. She took on the whole Chinese Navy. Like her <laughs> fleet faced the Chinese Navy and won. Like no Western pirate can talk about that. She got to retire. Mm-hmm. Like she made a deal with the government. Say, I'll stop if you let me retire and just take all my money. And they're like, yes. <laughs> like yes. she got to retire with everything. Like, wow. Anyway, I... I that it's a great story, but it has nothing to do with this. So we'll move on. Um, so her first appearance. Let's talk about Alyssa's first appearance. Uh, she doesn't seem like she's going to be an important character when she's first introduced. Because you have Reyna, who's really important. And she's just one of Reyna's friends, right? And Reyna is the eldest of Anis and Alyssa. She's other Alyssa. See, here we go with these Alyssas, right? Alyssa, uh, Black Bride of Magor, Rider of Dreamfire, Queen in the West, later Queen in the East. Like, she's really important uh, and then there's all these other characters around her with the saga of Magor and the Jaehaerys and Alessand. So it doesn't seem like Alyssa is going to be all that important. But all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> this character is, uh, is is popping up all over the place. Uh, she's three years older than Andrew Farman, who has his own sad, awful story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was in a, 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 the, the story of Andrew Farman, um, I think, was described really well by Nobody Suspects the Butterfly. If anyone follows her blog, she said it was straight out of tragic lesbian pulp novels. <laughs> and it's exactly right. It's like this dark, like you could just see like ripped from the headlines and like a like, little <laughs> book, you know, from years ago. He killed them all. <laughs> I feel like um, that, I'm glad you bring that up, Ashea. I feel like George writes some 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 of that uh conflict that comes from homosexuality into the subtext of some of these character arcs like we've talked about uh the blackfish before as possibly mm-hmm. somebody who could be asexual or could be homosexual one or the other um but there's so what really struck me and i just listened to this today was uh when mark farman died and his brother took power farman the next day de- yeah Really? Uh, <laughs> That's <yeah>. amazing. <laughs> what? That's awesome. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, oh, you just enjoying the pun. Yeah. Yeah. So so he so he dies and then his brother takes uh takes power and the very next day he kicks Raina out, obviously yeah. with a lot of spite. And he's like, But you will not be taking my sister. I will be marrying her yeah. to a man of my choice. I really read that as like, this is a guy that has a big problem with this relationship. And he specifically is like you can just feel that like bigotry. I don't know. I feel like George no. is writing that into the subtext there. But I think you're exactly right about that for sure. That's Franklin. a good catch. Yeah, because yeah. because we know Alyssa was betrothed twice, and she broke and she scared. It says she scared both of them off. We yeah. don't know what scared off means, mm-hmm. but but if mm-hmm. there's a lot of I potential it reasons, I imagine like a lot of Tyrell type thing. Yes. Talk about. I had the you know I soon saw the end of that and all that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it really it really fits like they could just be intimidated by how amazing she is at everything in a patriarchal society right like mo- like a lot of us would be like thrilled to have a girlfriend with all those skills but you know that's not the as- attitude of Westerosi in that time uh, or it could just be that that she wasn't into them it could be the more mundane thing like along yeah. these lines she just wasn't into guys it's that simple yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think it is that simple she didn't want to marry someone not that that would just, scare them but still it's it would be a turn just off. to address uh joel whitney's comment yes there is definitely a huge difference between being asexual and being gay but the point is that blackfish mysteriously refuses to marry and there's this line where hoster is on his deathbed and he's asking cat did he marry someone some woman, like any woman, like 
He's still, <laughs> it really reads like a denial of like the, the truth here. But the point is for some reason, Blackfish refuses to marry and we don't ever get that reason, but it feels like it could be some private reason. Like either he just, he's asexual or he's not attracted to women. You know, he's attracted yeah. to men instead. It could be either one of those things. And other though they're obviously very different, uh, yeah. they both could work as a cause for his I mean, sort and of to be clear, to you can be asexual and still be gay as well, and you can be asexual and be mostly straight, as it so happens. It's you know, thank whatever. you. Yes, um, but yeah. yeah, so it's they're not mutually exclusive either. And and it could be neither. Uh, Blackfish, yeah. they could, it could be some other reason. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like it's, it's left for us to wonder. But uh, obviously, George is he writes some gay characters into the book. He's conscious that gay people yeah. exist, and so <laughs> we shouldn't we shouldn't wonder if he you know writes some of that into the subtext or the background of some of these characters too. So anyway, we can move along. So yeah. even the maester seems at least the the maesters a couple of them at least seem aware of this. Uh, Ma Gildane quotes Maester Smike, which I think is a hilarious name, Smike. <laughs> the queen found her true love on Fair Isle, not with Andro, but with his sister, Lady Alyssa. So they're, yeah. they're not saying it's a sexual relationship, they're saying, but it, you know, that's pretty clear. Yeah, it's very clear. There's a lot of references throughout it to, you know, the term favorite. Um, and really, when you look at the use of the word favorite throughout the series, it has a certain connotation that is romantic, that is sexual by and large. You can see like there's examples like Queen, Queen Rhaenys, who, you know, obviously Rhaenys' parentage was um, up for question, and her her singers and whatnot, people in her court were called her favorites. Joffrey Lonmouth, who was, you know, Laenor Valerian, who was definitely gay, was called his the favorite of him, you know. Princess Sarah in Fire and Blood in this book referred to all of her, she has male and female favorites, so it seemed mm. like she, you know, maybe was seeing multiple people. But, um, in the main series, the big one um, is Marjorie. Um, she's referred that her, the blue bard, is referred to as a favorite of Marjorie, and it's insinuating that she's sleeping with him. Yep. So um, <laughs> there's very notable um, terms used there, I think, for some of these. And these speaking of Marjorie, this kind of is a little similar to Renly marrying Marjorie, but actually. Wanting yeah. Loras. Yeah, it's a, it's a beard. <laughs> yeah, so Raina, Andrew is Raina's beard, whereas uh, Marjorie was Renly's beard. <laughs> uh, so Also, I will mention in terms of The Favorite, there's a movie out right now called The Favorite <laughs> um, that just won some awards with Olivia Coleman and Emma Stone and Rachel Wise, but it's all about um, these women are they're gay, and The Favorite is the gay lover of Queen Anne. So it's, anyways, it's extra fitting. I just realized that. I just watched that the other day. That's really cool. <laughs> I see. So we should we should when we see that word, we should understand the subtext. I, I do think that there's meant to be the subtext, whether it's actually the case that someone they, they had a sexual relationship or whether it's someone's trying to insinuate and, and cast aspersions on them by saying it. It doesn't always have to mean that they actually slept together. It's a it's a very interesting word choice. That's a very good catch, though, about, about that, the way that word is used. It's kind of like when we picked out the word rustling as as the sound of of a green seer trying to talk through the trees or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a very distinct word. It's a favorite might mean. Gay lover, not always, but yeah, it's it should be or just lover. that way, or just yeah. lover. Yeah, just it lover. Gay. You're right. It's, 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 it's not just, gay yeah, at all. Um, it's just lover. It's just often referred to a way to refer to gay relationships, or but it's also yeah. used to refer to Again, out of wedlock Rainey's relationships. And Marjorie, queens who are being inappropriate with their men. Yeah, so it seems. Yeah, exactly. Um, that you're right. That's a better way to put it. Uh, super chat from Scott McCloy, just for my two favorite channels. Wanted to say thanks for the great content. Well, thank you very much, Scott. We appreciate that. Uh, let us take a step aside. Oh, wait, I just want to mention real quick. Sure. I just, I just have to also point out 
Alyssa, Alyssa's ship's name is Maiden's Fancy before it's the Sun Chaser. I think that's not just so, like, crying out, she's gay, and nothing is. Um, oh, and also, LML, with your take on uh, Franklin Farman and his, uh, you know, perhaps being upset or at least controlling about Alyssa's relationships, I like how George wrote him as a goofball in that he gave him the kind of tropey comic book like he fell into a, a ship full of fish like he landed in a big pile of cod which is just like that's what happens to cartoon villains right when they they land in a pile of fish or dung yeah, or yeah. garbage or something like that something that's really yeah, smelly I, I was yeah i just listened to that earlier today i was laughing i was laughing <laughs> at it i was like oh that's pretty good they had this showdown on the docks and the people you know they're like they, oh, he only brought six guards with him, and he underestimated the popularity of mm-hmm. Melissa. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. the crowd rising up to help is just, yeah, that's, that's just right, straight out of some uh, storybook. <laughs> but I like it so I well. Mean, in general, I feel like the Farman's Fair Isle, Fair Castle, it is like just like how we have like the even starved hearth. These two aisles here are these kind of storybook fairy tale type places. They're kind of idyllic, aren't they? Yeah. Idyllic. I don't know what, you know, how they're described. Um, you that's know, blue eyes and flaxen hair. And like, <laughs> White towers by the sea. Yeah. yeah. It, just, it, it really does. Like, it does make me think. The dragon named Dreamfire. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. We're, we, we'll just, just let me know when we're going to talk about Dreamfire. I've got stuff ready but okay cool yeah, yeah. Okay, well, i'll keep that i'll keep that at bay until you <laughs> okay so uh let's take a, a side step here we're gonna do a parallel life uh episode here real quick um last week <laughs> i know we need a little music for that uh yeah so we have a bonus comparison we've we've done magor gregor and Amond and euron like there's kind of a four-way meshing four-way. with those guys they don't all line up so well it's mostly like gregor is kind of the centerpiece in some way and and Eamon, he connects to Eamon and Eamon connects to Euron and Magor connects to Gregor. Oh, I'm sorry. This sounds really dirty now. This sounds like a big old sword fight. Well, we already have the four-headed beast for Reyna yeah, and uh, now we got this is a different four-headed, four-headed beast. beast. I was like, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> and that pun is actually really fitting for multiple heads given who we're comparing Magor to this time, Magor and Gregor to this time. Okay, so I'm going to keep this one. This one I'm going to do like trivia. Some of these parallel lives, I just explain it because they don't work the, the comparison it doesn't work being sneaky sometimes it just is better to just explain it uh but sometimes we can be kind of clever and cute with it and make it like trivia so that's what i'm going to do this time okay so the name convention is the same it's six letters and some of the letters are the same uh this say, this character also had a famous incident with a horse a killing a horse just like uh magor and gregor both did this character is also hugely strong just like magor and gregor this character is also a kinslayer, just like Magor and Gregor. This character was killed by Barristan Selmy, who immediately became a Kingsguard, whereas Gregor is not truly dead, and Magor might have been killed by his Kingsguard. That connection is maybe not as uh, thorough or, or even there at all. But, and also I dropped this clue about uh, heads. So, uh, we'll come back to that in a couple minutes. While we introduce some early stuff about Elissa, and I'll while you guys ponder that, so think this about one's that. a touch on the easy side for your usual ones. I have to say, it is not a hard one. It's definitely Someone not a hard one. It. But a couple people, I think, Two are uh, probably gonna need a, need a minute on it. Painkiller Jane got it first, which she means did. we have to uh, we have to do her theory about uh, who Alyssa Farman is. Okay, oh, yeah, <laughs> that sounds fun. Okay, so well, yeah, can... sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say we can wait, though. Until yeah, let's uh, let's introduce the very basics about Al- uh, Alice or 
Alyssa, Alice Westhill, Alyssa Farman, and then we'll uh, run over that answer real quick. Um, okay, so very basic stuff, her, like her appearance, for example. Yeah, Shea is going to pull we, up yeah, an, an we image. Ran into, we went into, but yes. Well, here's her, here's her look uh, from the book. She mm-hmm. has the typical, apparently, for the Farmans, blue eyes and flaxen hair, which is a very Andal yeah, look. see in the black and white of this um, book's art. Yes. As it so happens. You cannot see that, but you can see her cool piratey clothes, which I like. But... Um, the great Naomi make, Makes Art, who's been doing all sorts of fire and blood art, did do a piece of Reina and Alyssa, Elissa together there, where you can see the difference in, like, the more, silver, you know, light platinum blonde of Reina versus Alyssa's blonde hair. And so that's on the screen as well. Right on. Um, okay, so... Interesting comment here. Uh, this is something I just thought of right now. We were, we're told that the Farmans have been sailing the Western Sea since the Dawn Age, but this is a very Andal look they have. But that that fits. The Andals came in and married into all those families and kind of took them over that way. But that's just a, a good little piece of trivia. Um, she's said to have spent more time at sea than on land, which is a phrase we've heard similarly with other characters, not necessarily with sea, like... His throne was his saddle, or he ruled from horseback, or he, some, you know, like the Dothraki, they learned to ride before they learned to walk. That's said about uh, Lyanna, if I remember correctly. Uh, so that's just kind of the way of saying that they're natural born doer of whatever, in this case, sailing. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're told that she is sharp of wit and sharper of tongue. She loved horses, dogs, and hawks. <laughs> Yeo. <laughs> she was a fine singer and a skilled archer, but her great love was sailing. And it says that she climbed the rigging like a monkey and that, that uh, the, the farming sailors would uh, get a kick out of that. They really liked having her around. So she wasn't like the uh, – apparently these, these sailors aren't superstitious about having women on board. So that's good. Uh, and she sailed her own boat around – Fair Isle at age 14, and by age 20, she had sailed to Bear Island and the Arbor and was already speaking about sailing west, which freaked out her parents, even though this is a sailing culture. <laughs> Again, all that has to be taken in context. Um, mm-hmm. So here's the point in our notes where we actually talk about the four-headed beast, so we'll go ahead and uh, jump back to our trivia real quick. I think a lot of you got this by now. Of course, the, the, the multiple heads clue really gave it away, if not other things. It's Nailies the Monstrous, who had a second head growing, a conjoined twin, apparently, growing out of his... Yeah, so it's like, it's like me and little Lucerion <laughs> here. This is my conjoined dragon twin that uh, Melanie Lot 7 knitted me. Oh, like, that's Lucerion. great. That's awesome. My name is Lucerion. Yeah, he's cute as can be. Yeah, that's very cool. All right. Shout so, out to Melanie Lot 7. So um, let's okay. So now let's talk about the four-headed beast. Ashea, let's uh, let's have you jump in with a little bit about them, and then LML, you can talk about. How Dreamfire. did you not do the from two heads to four heads? <laughs> Doubling Jesus the heads. I'm slipping. Oh. I'm slipping, man. I guess the, <laughs> my wordplay is falling off. I'm so but sorry, no, we everybody. Have this, the four-headed beast, and we uh, notably all of these women do go flying on Dreamfire, um, innuendo galore. There, I suppose. Go but, flying um, on Dreamfire. Uh, Ride the beast. Is that is that's a new meadow. It's like uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail, like yeah. going flying on Dreamfire. Yeah, like, you know, oh. they all did, but never Andrew. He never rode. He, he didn't sleep in her bed, as we hear later. So that really confirms that uh, she really, um, I, I don't know if they even consummated their marriage ever. I would be doubtful about whether she would have allowed him to do that. Um, yeah. But, uh, the, the, you know, Raina takes, obviously, Elissa Farman, but also her two other favorites, um, Samantha Stokeworth and Elaine Royce. And I really have a lot of questions about this. Obviously, some of them... 
you know, it seemed like they might have had a romantic thing early on, but they all just became ultimately friends. Obviously, things went sour between Raina and Elissa, but they continued uh, with Sam Stokeworth and Elaine Royce. Like, they seemed to be lifetime friends, really, and, you know, until, until the end of their lives. Until Andrew, uh, yeah, ruined all know, that. <laughs> but they, they uh, whether, I- I'm curious whether either of them were ever put out by being replaced. It seemed like Larissa, um, was you know from Driftmark um, that was married off there. It seemed like Larissa was her her biggest love before Elissa. You know, I think so too. Um, that's, and that's so whether it was romantic idea. with Sam Stokeworth and Elaine Royce, we don't know. Maybe they were all just gay, and Sam Stokeworth and Elaine Royce were in a relationship. I don't know. I, I'm curious about more about them actually. Yeah, it's it's this is the kind of thing that you wouldn't expect like to have a lot of information on, and because it's not the kind of thing that Maesters would delve that into. They would be uncomfortable with the topic, probably. Yeah. Uh, them all being, I mean, most Maesters don't get to have sex with anyone, let alone think about alternate relationships. So they're they're probably pretty stodgy about the whole thing. <laughs> probably pretty like, oh no, this we don't want to talk about that. So they're they're all they're all in a little dark room reading a caution for young girls in the dark room. <laughs> yes they are. Yes they are. Yeah, so LML, talk to us a little bit about Dreamfire. I think um just before you start, I wanna say I just want to again express something I expressed before, which is I'm just well, George. I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about this. I've never oh. written Dreamfire before. So, uh, <laughs> no man no. has. Just wait, the, maybe I have. I guess it depends on what it means. Uh, yeah. Well, this this uh, makes my little side comment here sorry. even more. I'm sorry. All right, let's just let's just <laughs> elevate this here. I, I was accused of of making a fool out of myself by wearing costumes. So I I really uh, it's up to me to like raise the bar here. So, uh, Dreamfire is a blue pale blue and silver dragon and i love Mm -hmm. dragon colors they're always good for symbolism blue dragons always catch your attention there's only a couple there's tessarion the blue queen uh cobalt colored dragon so a dark blue and then dreamfire is pale blue i think those are the only two that are confirmed as being blue but it makes you think of ice dragon symbolism and stuff like that and if you follow the farm and symbolism it's fairly consistent they got white towers um, their sigil has a blue and white pattern around the sunset. Um, so you can almost imagine like the sun being swallowed by by ice and by the others. And then we get uh, dream fire going there. There's one time when Raina speaks and her voice is as cold as ice. Mm. Um, and there's a few other things I won't go on and on. I don't have it all written out right in front of me, but there's a pretty consistent line of ice symbolism going on. Uh, but what's really interesting about Dreamfire is that Dreamfire turns out to be the dragon that cracks open the dome of the dragon pit. Mm. Um, when that happens, it's Dreamfire that flies up, who gets who gets free of her chains, flies up and hits against the dome, and that's what collapses half the dome. And of course, the dome of the dragon pit is a terrific symbol of a moon that contains dragons, and when it breaks open. There's a bunch of blood and fire and a crown of fire is worn by the dragon pit and all this stuff. And the idea of Dreamfire flying up into the dome, it's literally like a dragon trying to hatch out of an egg, but it's a giant stone egg. So it's a really good dragons hatching from the moon kind of symbol. And then the idea of Dreamfire also plays into some of my ideas about green seeing and how Zora High and the Weirwood Net sort of intersect. Um, so the the idea of fire going into the dream world is like the idea of Azor High invading the Weirwood Net. So there's and that's what leads to the others, and hence all the other symbolism of the Farmans. So without that's going cool. you know too too ape crazy, it, it just a little mm-hmm. bit of a taste there. Well, uh, but check this out. Oh, I will give you this. All right, so the Farman words are um, the wind, our steed. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's Green Seer talk. Mm. They're flying on the wind, but it's a horse, oh. a windy horse that makes you fly. That's like Sleipnir and Astral Projection and some of the other stuff that I've been talking about lately. Um, so The wooden horses, then, uh, as the Dothraki would call them in this case, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that symbolism runs all through the Dothraki and House Valerion and their seahorse and stuff. Because Danny's riding a silver horse around the Dothraki Sea, so it's like a silver seahorse. And the sigil of, of House Valerion is a silver seahorse on green. And so George mm. is tying those symbolisms to each other. But, but the last thing I wanted to say is that when Andrew Farman dies, he says, I can fly too. And then he <laughs> jumps from a tall tower. So you think mm. of Euron saying, how do we know if we can fly unless we leap from some tall tower? So this whole like green seer. <laughs> so there's basically there's a, there's a running thing of, of green seer symbolism going on there. And it's fun stuff. We we myth heads are just starting to dig into it. So I don't have the full explanation for it, but it's definitely tantalizing or some good shit mm -hmm. going on. Yeah, that's a good example of like, like I said at the beginning uh, of how there's all these great observations we have, but more observations are going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming from from all over the fandom and from everyone. It's going to be. Yeah, we haven't we haven't figured it all yet out by any means. Um, also want to point out uh, that Dreamfire, there's a, a cool moment there where Reyna is angry at Lord uh, Franklin's ejection of her and her friends. And the maester, I guess it's Smike again, <laughs> has this, writes his moment of fear. And it's really evocative. He has this vision of Dreamfire just blasting the towers and all this other stuff. And I thought that would probably stand out to you, too, that the way that one was written. Did you have any thoughts so, on that? Yeah. So the Dreamfire, the, they pictured exactly right. The quote is like he could see it in his mind now. You know, Dreamfire, the white tower is blackening and falling into the sea. And so anytime you see a white tower, you should potentially think of a weirwood because a weirwood is a white tree and towers and trees are very interchangeable as symbols. And when you have a white tower that gets crowned with flame, now it really looks like a weirwood because the red canopy of the weirwoods is described as a blaze of flame. And the weirwood symbolically is like the burning bush of Moses or like the burning tree as, as a symbol. So mm. now think of Old Town. Okay, Old Town, when Silverwing went there, Silverwing landed atop the high tower and fanned the flames of the high tower. Now, the sigil of the high tower is a white tower, quote, with a crown of flame. So it's that's another weirwood symbol, essentially, especially since the high towers are associated with mystical sight and all the other good stuff and magic and, and whatever else. So it's cool because um, Dreamfire is a pale blue dragon and silver and Silverwing is obviously a silver dragon. And so both of those are kind of similar in terms of symbolism, and they're both associated with these white towers and and specifically breathing fire onto these white towers. And so it's the idea of, again, dragons landing or invading the weirwood and setting the weirwoods on fire. So oh, it's very cool. It's a, it's a cool bit of symbolism there. Right on. Uh, super chat from Thomas Pappas. Alyssa Farman parallels with Amelia Earhart and Magellan. We have that in the document already. We will be getting to that near the end. Uh, that'll be part of the legacy and, um, uh, yeah, long-lasting effects. Alyssa Farman and her influence on Magellan. <laughs> yes, yes, she had quite an influence on Magellan. I, I believe Magellan cited her journey specifically. Yeah. <laughs> so they all leave. They leave uh, Far Fair Isle. Um, Alyssa gets to go, even though Farman, uh, Franklin Farman wanted her to stay. And they go to Casterly Rock. And... They Queen had been to Cassidy Rock before. Well, at least Raina had. Um, she stayed there. In fact, that's where her kids were born. Yeah. And 
This time her hosts are a little creepy. They're like talking about, well, if you wanted to thank us for <laughs> staying here, you could give us one of your eggs. And the Lannisters I are- I kind of prefer the green one, just so, you know. <laughs> green and gold, yes, yes. Matches so, my fingernails, eh? <laughs> so this is probably not very fun for Elissa Farman to be hanging out in Castle Rock. She likes sailing and, and being outdoors and doing all this stuff. So stuck inside the rock is probably not fun. But it's not fun for her friends either because uh, Raina is being treated creepily and they want her stuff. And they're talking about marriage. And he's and Raina thinks they want to marry me and have their own dragon riders. And if and the, the mention, there's a line, they were kings once. And in this context, they were kings once is is kind of understating it because they were kings like 50 years before yeah. and then for thousands of years. So they've only not been kings for a relatively short period of time. And can you imagine a dragon lord kingdom at Casterly Rock? Like, that would be really powerful. They got this impregnable fortress and they have dragons. Damn. You know, that brings up a really good point, Aziz. Um, when... Uh... When Alyssa Farman stole the eggs and Jaehaerys is talking to Barth about it, he literally says, supposedly, there could be a new, if those dragons' eggs hatch, there'll be a new dragon lord. Yeah. Which is really weird. It's like he doesn't even think that that you'd have to be a Valerian. He, he just thinks that somebody that could hatch a dragon could be a dragon lord. And then we have the same idea here with the Lannisters, like, you know, maybe we can be dragon lords. The Lannisters I don't know, it... were thinking ahead of themselves there, and I think Jaehaerys was recognizing that there are a lot of people out there with Valyrian heritage, like in Essos, okay, where okay. that were eggs were taken, so that That's some true. some Lyseni, some Valentine, some person could mm. become a dragon lord potentially. But the Lannisters, I think, were just you know dreaming big. They wanted a marriage, which which might which be then they could get their then they blood. would actually have the yeah, blood. Yeah, they, I think they, yeah they had they they were smarter. I guess I'm reminded of the slavers, right? They didn't they clearly didn't have the blood for Drogon, but they were totally like willing to make this trade, and mm. yeah. they just True. assumed they could tame Drogon and yeah. you know and get him to do what they wanted. Um, but a dragon is I not am, a slave. <laughs> somebody pointed out that my Viking horns are making a lovely crescent moon yeah, really in front are. of the sun. So I'm actually doing a little bit of an eclipse thing. And now they're warning me not to cause any long nights. But uh, uh, fortunately, there's no red swords. No, oh, my goodness. This looks like trouble. <laughs> ah, wait, wait, right, right through the middle. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I'd say we're probably about this is about halfway through. We started a little yeah, late, so we'll call this the halfway. Thanks again to uh, patrons who support the show, the, the guys who we normally introduce at the beginning because of our false start there, we'll do now. Mm -hmm. So that includes our dragon riders. That would be Telenis the Talon, king of Gagasos, rider of Telerius, a red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of midnight black. Looks and like LML's little dragon. Yeah, kind of, kind of is. Yeah, that is a good description of uh, what he's got going there. Uh, Robert IV of House Ardeacor is burned king of Blazewater Bay, rider of Atroxus, a black dragon with bioluminescent spots like smoldering embers and a banded blue tail. Also, thanks to our blood riders, we have Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian steel arak with a dragon bone hilt, Kohokoi, called Sun Piercer, wielder of a dragon bone bow, and Kokavo the Tamer, wielder of the wildfire whip Gehenna. Um, Kohokoi has, uh, his her, her boss suffered a tragic accident and died, but before yeah. that death, he mysteriously had changed his will to put all of his lands and titles to into Koakoi's name. And now, now uh, Lord Jared's seven sons and wife are, are petitioning for justice, but wow. uh, all they're going to get is the uh, dragon bone bow right in the <laughs> oh, face. <laughs> I see. Yes, it's uh, it's a tough world out there. 
Uh, also, thanks to our uh, Ironborn captains. That would include... Uh, well, where did they go? They're hiding from me here. They are. They're such... Yeah, the Ironborn are good that way. You never know they're there until the last second. Kathleen the Ruthless, Captain of Night Terror. Motto, don't fall asleep. Black Matos Stormrider, Captain of the Rusted Hinge. Tusk Shield, Breaker Captain of Kraken's Fury. Oisan the Wanderer, Captain of Naga's Living Flame. Sir Selvus Redblade of White Harbor, Captain of Trident of the North. Lord Chuck Laws, Captain of the Droman Nightblood, Destroyer of Evil. Heron Burtbeard, Captain of the Smoking Narwhal. John Gregor, Captain of the Fist of the Drowned God. Carries Farwind, called Seal Speaker, Oracle of Lonely Light, the Eyes and the Waves. Sir Kieran of Lonely Light. Scourge of the Sunset Sea, Captain of Naga's Breath, a Droman armed with siphons of wildfire. Aileen, Archer Queen, Captain of the Border Collie. Crimson Kate, Captain of the Drowned Queen's Vengeance. Jasana the Just, Collector of Tolls, Captain of the Golden Gift. And Lord Mitch of House Bailey, Captain of Widow's Blood. His heir is Lordling Mason of House Bailey. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks again to everybody uh, for supporting us there. And also, if you are a uh, follower of ours, uh, our Crusader Kings 2 streams, remember that they're over on Twitch now every other Friday. You can subscribe to us on Twitch and catch the restreams on Westeros History Gaming. That is our new YouTube channel just for the replays of those streams. All right. Okay. Back to it. So guys, I got some I got some bad news oh about the moon. Oh my god. <laughs> How did you do that? Very very bad news about the moon, guys. Wow. It happened. The moon wandered too close to the sun and now there is a big red sword right through its heart. Wow. And uh, I'm not responsible for what happens next. <laughs> Somehow the man has a sword on his head. He's that's quite a balancing Whoa. act. I just love nice. symbolism that much. What can I say? <laughs> so, back to it. The Team of Reyna and the Four-Headed Beast and Dreamfire and Andrew uh, leave Casterly Rock and Reyna petitions Jaehaerys for a, a place they can be where they don't have to deal with this creepiness of, hey, marry me or just hey, give me your eggs. Just a place where they can be gay and be ladies. Yeah. That's just all they want. And of course, the place to be gay and be ladies is Dragonstone. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> that that fun-filled, well, you know, <laughs> it's a party atmosphere at Dragonstone with all the gargoyles and the blood and fire so Jairus says sure and also says sure to uh reyna's request to have area uh come there as well <laughs> area is a good bit younger than the members of the four-headed beast but she does kind of bond with Alyssa farman a bit uh because they have kind of a similar adventure spirit uh this is a three-year stay in dragonstone before Alyssa finally leaves you gotta gotta figure Alyssa was really not not such a big fan of this. She obviously was happy being around her friends, I would think, but she couldn't sail. She wasn't not only could she not sail at all, but she couldn't sail in her familiar Western seas, which she grew up doing more than she walked, as we're told. So that that probably was rough for her. You know what's really interesting is it's almost like a dragon that's like kept in too small of a place that just like can't stand it. Alyssa. <laughs> Very true. Very in true. Uh, and. Quick super chat. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Black Eyed Lily. Oh, yes. Thank you, Black Eyed Lily. Thank you very much. Uh, we also have around this time is when the sea snake was born, and the sea snake is going to be heavily influenced by uh, Alyssa Farman's adventure and her shipbuilding. And, of course, he might be the one to discover her final whereabouts, or at least some clue as to her final whereabouts. Yeah. Uh, Alyssa asks for money to build a ship because she's tired of being at Dragonstone. She's tired of hanging around in these empty, dark halls and not sailing. <laughs> and she wants money to build a ship. And Raina's like, no. <laughs> Straight up like, no. Raina's kind of selfish. She uh, wants all these people to entertain her, to be around her, not really 
giving much credit to what they want to do with their lives. And that's going to blow up in her face uh, vis-a-vis Alyssa and Erea, who both just leave on their own because they're not permitted to leave. So, yeah, that's a that's another thing I was going to mention real quick is the interesting parallel, like basically her jilted girlfriend sails west and steals dragon eggs from Dragonstone and her daughter steals Balerion from Dragonstone and and goes uh, east. Yeah, so, so it's a pretty, it's an interesting parallel. That's what shows what and there's more, yeah. by the way. There's a lot more parallels, but we'll talk about that. Definitely. Definitely. So Elissa steals these eggs and kind of gets lucky uh, because we have this. um we have this quote here. Uh, All the agents and informers that Rigo Draz had engaged to hunt down Alyssa Farman. She says they immediately try to track her down after after about a week of the keepers of the eggs trying to figure out it on their own. Then they have to admit their mistake. And then Reyna tries to figure it out on her own. But then she has to go to admit it to Jaharis. And of course, Jaharis is not so happy about it. Um, and... We have this quote. All the agents and informers that Rigo Draz had engaged to hunt down Alyssa Farman and the stolen dragon eggs were now given a new mission to find Princess Erea and Balerion. So Alyssa was greatly helped by... She probably would have been found out. Like, this, the Iron Throne has a great reach. They would have eventually figured out. And Rigo Draz was, seemed to be very capable. Um, they would have probably figured out what happened. But she, you know, it's like when you're, it's, it's, if you've ever been lucky enough to be pulled over by a cop for speeding and then have them say, never mind and speed off after somebody else because some other much greater crime has happened nearby. Well, this is kind of like that, but on a much, much, much bigger scale. Who's speaking of, we were talking about colors. I like Marvin Martin, his comment here. He said, has anyone noticed that of all the colors of the dragons, we don't see any purple Valyrian colored ones in particular. I just think that's funny. Yeah. But um, and of course, LML replied that you know we do see copper and bronze, orange kind of. And there was orangey, a purple egg, but, but no orange. purple but yeah, dragon. Yeah, you're right. So, anyways, that, and we had, yeah, pink. We had a pink yeah. dragon too. Yeah, you're right. We, we do. We do well, not that. a pink dragon, but well, but, yeah, she's I mean, pink. Was like Morning pink, was pink. Was, yeah. yeah, like a pinkish. Well, and Sunfire had wing membranes that were pink. You're right. Yeah, golden so there was pink a few of that, but no, no purple. Yeah, it is odd. Purple and purple is so regal. That's the that's the color of royalty. So like George really could have like used that as symbolism for like. Well, I guess that just makes Ero, it makes uh, erogenia that much more. Yes. Unique, <laughs> good point. Good point. Uh, so here's where we there's a bit of a misconception about the eggs yes. here. So Shay, we go ahead ourselves and this. also had. For we sure. made the same mistake. We kind of thought that oh okay she took the eggs that Dreamfire um, laid because we knew that Dreamfire had a clutch of, of eggs. But um, the quote says here, the eggs that Dreamfire had laid on Fair Isle had all hatched once on Dragonstone, and Raina Targaryen had made certain that her daughter made their acquaintance. However, we do know that Dreamfire has had two other clutches of eggs at this before this third clutch of eggs. So we know the Fair Isle clutch hatched, so it makes us wonder, well, did those other eggs hatch, those other two clutches? I don't know, but Dreamfire is one of the only dragons during this time period that we hear about actually having eggs. So the odds are still that these eggs were Dreamfire's, but it's not for sure. Yeah. It's still very possible. And yeah. I like the idea that it is Dreamfire's eggs. There is the whole idea of Dreamfire's eggs and the Danny's eggs connection is is the Danny's eggs part, whether these are Danny's eggs, some we're going to get to a little later. But there's definitely not not only some misconceptions from that, but also we're going to, as we're going to see, the 
the marketing materials were a little dishonest about it. Yeah, it said specifically the marketing materials did say that you find out the origin of Janani's eggs. But George has specifically said that that was was, uh, misconstrued. Yeah, he he, he literally wrote, please disregard. disregard. (laughs) He's like, that was from Bantam. I do think it's very clear (laughs) that he's trying to make the reader hint at at it and not not so... um, Not so hinty sometimes. I mean, he specifically have Jahari say some spice monger in Pentos is going to end up with some, you know, very brightly yeah. colored stones or whatever he says. And so, I mean, that's a little on the nose, which might make you question it more and think that maybe it isn't those eggs just because of how overt he makes it. But I think he's just trying to cover his bases if we're not going to see that. Well, let's, let's the actually shot. talk more about it since okay. we've gotten into it. Um, yeah, hold on. I'm, I'm, conf- I'm confused. I thought that. I thought that this was a solved thing. These were Danny's eggs and we were all, no. That's yeah. it's, it's great. I'm glad you have this opinion because we did a little bit too. And we realized yeah. through discovering, through research, it's not it's not even close to a sure thing. Uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, anyone who wants to do a very thorough reading of this, we're going to hit the high points. But uh, nobody suspects the butterfly who Shay has already mentioned yeah. earlier in this episode. She did a really, really good write up on all the information here and clears up a lot of the misconceptions because as we just said, Bantam just made that up. They said Danny. The answer to Danny's eggs or, or Danny's dragons are is in this book. That is not true. It might be in there. George is like, do not take that literally. So the so the marketing materials kind of screwed things up again. That has that's not the first time it's happened. <laughs> um, so and of course, like you said, this referenced like Ashay just said, some spice monger in Pentos will find himself possessed of three very costly stones. Like right, that's that's supposed to make us think of Illyrio, obviously. But there's a problem. The eggs didn't go to Pentos. They went to Bravos. How did they go from, did the Sea Lord sell them to the Pentashi to Illyrio? I mean, it, we can certainly imagine that that yeah. happened, but it's not a sure thing. It's not an automatic, it's not a slam dunk. I was thinking I about the fact that Danny, I was thinking about the fact that Danny was at the Sea Lord's uh, palace probably for a time and that that's, yeah. that's where that plot sort of came together. That's, yeah. yeah, I think that, I think there clearly seems like if she was at the Sea Lord's palace that the Illyrio has a connection to the Sea Lord. He has an avenue where they could get these eggs and I think that, you know, who knows what the cost was or what was owed to them by the Sea Lord or who knows what happened there but I think that it's very likely that the Sea Lord, it went straight from the Sea Lord to Illyrio but it's also possible that there were steps in between for yeah. these eggs. I mean we have other easy explanations Explanations for where Danny's eggs could have come from. I thought they came from the stash that Ares had because it's, it's said in the World of Ice and Fire that Ares had eggs that were fossilized. So it'd be really, really easy for Varys to steal those during Ares's fall. Uh, they like, come from the Shadowlands beyond yeah. the sky. Yeah. The centuries have turned them to stone, but still they gleam bright with beauty. Yeah, and remember saying that, yeah, that's what Illyrio says, but there's two things to do with that. One, we shouldn't believe everything Illyrio says at all. Um, that which is one major thing but two george himself has, has changed course on a few things in mm-hmm. terms of like D- danny going to a shy and so it's very it would have been more possible that they were from a shy if she were going to a shy i agree but. with that point and nobody expects butterfly puts point points out something really excellent which is that if those were eggs stolen by Alyssa farman yeah illyrio would say that they were targaryen dragon eggs that would be a much better presentation to Daenerys, well, say these were your family's eggs. Yeah, maybe. I, I think that's, that's you could make an argument for that, but you could also make an argument that he he thinks it might complicate things. Okay. Or she might be like, yeah. who took the, you know, who stole these who eggs? Who stole these eggs from our family? My, you're giving me back my property? Good point. You know, that's a fair, that's a fair I, counter just, argument. In terms of anything, we don't want to, you know, say something's a slam dunk if you can uh, make another and argument. I hate, 
and I hate to pull back the curtain, but you know, this is obviously, I don't know that George had the Alyssa Farman, uh, any yeah. of this planned out no. when he wrote a game of Thrones. So That's whatever true. he's doing, he's, he's back filling this mystery that he left for himself to fill out as yeah. a gardener writer at some point. So. And so yeah. another thing, another extension from all this is if, if those aren't, the eggs Illyria gave to Danny, then that means the Bravosi have three eggs that are unaccounted yeah. for. So that yes. creates another like loose end. So that's part of why the theory that they are Danny's eggs works because it, it it's neater for one thing. It ties up more loose ends. But again, that doesn't mean it's the truth. Okay, so here's here's another thing. All right, so the eggs are sold for a ship, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so. What does Danny do yeah. with her eggs? Isn't there talk of selling <laughs> one of her dragons to buy ships? Yes. Yep. There is. Okay, so <laughs> that's 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 one sort of parallel. I've noticed a lot of parallels that are going between Reyna and Daenerys and also Arya and Daenerys. Yeah. And and I I, I feel like it lends a little bit of credence to the idea that Alyssa Farman could be Quave. Uh because Quave tutoring Daenerys it's almost like she's seeing Reyna come again or her daughter mm. um, not her daughter but her but Arya who has this connection with Alyssa because she was like take me away save me and she didn't and here she has this opportunity to save Danny and Danny's 13 when Quave meets her mm. and, and which is only a year older than Arya That's and Arya rides Arya rides Balerion on a black dragon just like Danny rides Drogon so there's a lot of parallels there. Well, well, let's let's talk about that now that we're getting into it. Um, that's something else we were going to talk about at the end, but it doesn't really matter if we talk about it then or now. So what what are some other little parallels there? That's definitely one. This this kind of sir, I, I wanted to talk about parallels with Alyssa to characters like Arya and Asha as well, because I don't think there's a strict, strong one-to-one -one relationship. Like if I were to do like a parallel lives thing for Alyssa, I don't think there's any really strong one-to-one -one comparison there. You can certainly find some, but there's no, as far yet, I haven't seen one that's like a slam dunk. So let's just yeah let's just talk about that now so well the the basics first of all this is painkiller jane's thing about quave and Alyssa. so there's only a, just a couple of clues but basically the end of the Alyssa story is that she you know somebody sees a boat in a shy uh sea snake sees a boat in a shy that could be he thinks it's sun chaser so you know either Alyssa got there or you know her crew got yeah. the boat there or who knows what so she, the she, idea, could, she could have gotten there and also died at the point that he sees Sun Chaser there. To that's be that's also, the Magellan to, theory, actually. Which is also which would be. I'm, I'm saying she could have she could have died before she got there. Yeah, she could have right. gotten there and died there. But oh, either way, yep. the ship is Either there. One. Yeah. Um, whether she made it there or not. And I, I, let me just also say real quick before you continue with this with this theory, uh, I am fully. I, I, I like you could maybe say Corliss had some wishful thinking and seeing that ship and believing it was her because she was kind of a hero to him. But it's said that he studied the design of the Sun Chaser, and the Sun Chaser is an exceptionally unique ship. And he's it a is. guy that builds ships his whole life. He would not casually make this mistake. I think that's a. He's like an expert on this. So it's. Yeah. it's I agree. I it's, agree. It's hard to disagree with him. Very good point. I'm glad you pointed that out. We are. I, I totally take it the same way. We're meant to to take Corliss at his word, pretty much. So, so here's yeah. the idea. So Quave is telling Danny to go. You know, to go north, you must go south. To reach the light, you must touch the shadow. To go west, you must go east. And um, <laughs> she, uh, Alyssa Farman, goes west to go east. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's. It's kind of funny. It's That's almost like good. she's telling her to give her this, you know, telling her to follow the same advice. But obviously the story would be that Alyssa Farman, who, you know, was responsible for putting these three dragon's eggs out into the world, which might be the ones that Danny received, you know, somehow became Quave, extended her life. She's a shadow binder now, whatever, whatever. 
And so her life basically start to finish has been around Targaryens and dragons. And they're just, there's a lot of sort of thematic symmetry that evolves, like I said, with the fact that she put the eggs out into play that might be Danny's, and then she comes back to help Danny wake them. When we'll she say. sees Danny, she'd be seeing an echo of Arya potentially, or um, you know, Reyna. Go ahead. So, Shea. so in this case, so like you were saying with the origin of the dragon eggs, you're thinking that George wrote Quaithe not knowing who the character was, wrote and then solved right. the mystery later, which is something that he does. I don't, I don't argue with that thing. Yeah, yeah. it's hundred percent something that he would do. That he would write something and not know what the backstory is. Um, he would have a seed clear, for it. Like, you're like, saying that, that he yeah. made, he, like, I mean, well, I'm saying, like, maybe, yeah, he wrote Quaith knowing, like, this is a long lost lover of a Targaryen. Who well, that's what he had with the Red Crow. He's like, this is a Targaryen bastard, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he, and, and then, so he, Quaith, then he, he became thought, Blood Raven. This is a tar- someone who loved Targaryens, you know, whatever. He could have known that little, little bit of a, of a seed there. He, yeah, um, maybe that this was nothing. a, a, a descendant like, from a Westerosi. Or, yeah, he could have been like, I don't, it doesn't matter who her backstory is. And Nine Nichols in the chat is pointing out that Quaith's eyes were wet and shiny a couple of times which could be tears uh mm-hmm. and, and that could fit with this idea that she's seeing an echo of uh you know either area or reina or a bit of both um and you think of barristan when he looks at Daenerys and sees a bit of his old love liness it's, it could be a similar type of idea so right on yeah I, the- I definitely tried to explore that eye color thing i looked real quickly but yeah we don't know what quaith's eye color is we know Alyssa's, but yeah yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit more. Let's let's um, let's 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 you go into the super chat. I will, uh, oh yeah, we got a super chat. I put in a document right here. Z's from Bulwer Purple. Oh, Just Bulwer the Purple. They're loving this. Okay, well, thank oh, you, Bulwer nice. the Purple. Very I will nice. say, in terms of the, the, the theories about um, Elissa Farman, there's definitely been some that had to do with Melisandre as well. Mm, um, that's true. Maybe some yes. that thought that, but some people that thought that that was Melisandre was her daughter. Yeah, I well, and, is and the more realistic. It's one. important to point out that all the theories around Melisandre. Sandra generally include, uh, or, or at least have to include the fact that she's probably not literally from Ashai, because as we know, there yeah. are kids there. So she probably, like right. everybody else, migrated there yeah. or was enslaved mm-hmm. and taken there, mm-hmm. even more likely, perhaps. She's from Ashai, like I'm from California. <laughs> <laughs> so if we compare her, let's let's make a few other of these comparisons since we're doing this now. Um, Arya is one person that that there's some comparison to. You get to kind of like the tomboyishness, the uh, to living a life that's generally supposed to be a man's life, that kind of thing. You've got the going overseas. Uh, you've got the going under an assumed name. You've got uh, stuff like that. But I don't know that that's not really that strong of a connection. There's definitely some st- surface level comparisons, but I don't know that. Yeah, like Arya on TV talks about sailing west, but Arya in the in the books does not. I, there's no, I, I'm not aware of any reference to Arya talking about sailing to the west or anything like that. So, uh, did you guys have any takes on an Arya Elissa comparison, or is that just kind of? Well, a... in the show, there's a weird line where isn't there a line about yes. Arya sailing yeah. west? Well, she's yes. not in the books, she's, though. She asks, Correct. She's like, well, what's west of Westeros? Yes. She's like very curious about that. We have. You know uh, this motif, this motif, this you know Arya of of Arya on ships sailing and doing things like that. So the idea that she's comfortable with ships enough that she could sail, I think it's some people, you know, have this this hope that Arya will not die and yeah. that she will survive and do that. Um, as maybe their their one little like please, please. But I, you know, I don't think it's very likely. It's more likely in the show, I guess. But I still 
I, I can't not see Arya dying. Yeah, maybe they got that. Maybe the, the showwriters got that from George. You never know. But they could have just thrown that in there on their own. What do you think? Eleanor? But if you, if you think, well, there's a Stark who did this, of course. Brandon mm-hmm. the Shipwright Absolutely. who sailed west. And I mean, if there's one character who would who would do this, it's Arya. Who's just like, I can't fit back into society. I've yeah. become a faceless man. I'm just going to sail east. Also, there's some Reaper Cheap vibes from Arya, too. And Reaper Cheap, of oh, course, Reaper Cheap yeah. from Narnia. Okay. And of course, Reaper Cheap is the mouse in the story of Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which Martin is absolutely calling out to here. And that's the basically the book where they sail west to the end of the world. And the one who doesn't want to go back is Reaper Cheap. And he crosses over Ooh. this like waterfall barrier and doesn't come back with anyone else. And so Arya definitely being a mouse in Heron Hall and stuff like that. I bet if I go and look back, there's more Reaper Cheap. Uh, now that I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So. Okay, that's cool. I like it. In fact, another meta question here from Koal Koei. Will we hear about Elissa in The Winds of Winter or A Dream of Spring? That's something that r- relates to parallel characters because if she does pop up, it would probably be in an Asha chapter or an Arya chapter or maybe a Tyrion chapter. Mm-hmm. And so Tyrion, of course, there's not parallels to, to I can always see it her. in Sam also, I have to say. Sam? Okay, good just, point. Just, she's Sam, so sure. much and he's in Old Town and she was had all this interaction with the Hightower. Very good Anyways. point. You're very, that's a very good point. Um, in Asha's case, of course, if Asha could be in a similar situation where oh, she's... Oh, dude, dude, dude. Nina Friel is on fire here in the chat. She <laughs> says, Alyssa sails with a Eustace. Just as the Dawn Treader crew did. Oh yeah. With oh, the- oh, score, dude. Yeah, see, it is there. She shoots. She scores. Is there Three a points for anywhere? Anywhere? That's what we need to know. What's and that? also, she There's points out Dawn Treader, Sun Chaser. They're similar names. Mm, Dawn Treader, Sun. Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, that's really good. So with Asha, I don't know. Maybe she could be. If she lives through everything, maybe she could decide to do some exploring or mm-hmm. sailing far. She's got more stealing expertise than Arya, so yeah. By a, uh-huh. miles and miles, yes. And uh, yeah, so that could be Hell, a possibility. put them on a ship and ship them both when she's old enough. <laughs> Why not? And, and Arya, yeah, and, one and, of them has to be pretty gay for this parallel to work, I think. Yeah. Uh, just saying. And <laughs> hey, we even have Asha in the show. Yara is very gay. <laughs> <laughs> and we hear of Lord Donal, who is when his son Eustace returns from the journey we're going to describe shortly. He immediately had, he has like a whole team of scribes recording all, all of his son's word or grandson's words. And then he sends this, this, this thing all over. Very he like he immediately sends these messages everywhere. So like entertain the small folk yeah. with this tale. But I think it's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah, that's, you're right. And I think, but I think that's a good clue that we are going to hear about it because he's explicitly tells us that this news was immediately spread all over Westeros. Yeah. And people would be like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. You know, that's just a really cool story. Yeah, I would love, definitely. I expect, yeah, I, if, whatever mention we get, I do expect will just be on on the level of the Nymeria references we've gotten where someone thinks about this this big travel journey that someone did. We get a line about it. It's not much more than that. That makes sense. But, um, but um, maybe we're lucky and someone, you know, is reading something. They see like a book title that has like, it's a book about that journey and they don't read the book, but we see that the book's there. Stuff like that. So full comparisons to Quaith. That's I think we did a pretty good job of covering some of the basics of comparing her Alyssa to Quaith. But there, there's, there's certainly more to that. But we'll that's that's going to come some other time. Yeah, there's definitely some there. Um, yeah, because Euron wants to steal a dragon. She stole dragon eggs. Yeah. Um, she goes to a shy. Euron claims to have been to a shy. 
don't know. That's, I don't know if there's true. anything else there, but you're right. There might be some more. There might be some. Uh, yeah, maybe she's like good Euron. <laughs> yeah, good Euron. There you go. <laughs> but I want to compare her to Amelia Earhart, which we mentioned briefly earlier. Who, of course, she sailed or sailed, sailed. <laughs> flew west and was never seen again. Um, and of course, she's a female explorer, very popular. Her story captured the imagination of the entire world at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, super brave, super talented, just lots of parallels that just strike just straightforward like once you hear that comparison it's like hmm yeah that's really good uh maybe a lesser comparison would be magellan we brought him up briefly earlier uh magellan totally different kind of guy than than Alyssa farman magellan was hyper religious like zealot uh believed that god was like backing him in his mission and he died uh, like being a you know, fighter man, brave, like face his enemies, you know, let his men run away while he stands and fights kind of thing. Sounds like very different right there, but I will say she was definitely very, she was definitely like a believer in the fact that there was landmass there and she was, you know, very, um, she would not be told otherwise. Yeah. In that sense. That's a, you're right. That's a good, that's a good little comparison as well, for sure. So we have, um, a super chat here from, Prince Ascanius, it seems odd the Valyrian slash dragon rider eye color isn't found in dragons themselves, which is the purple dragon thing we were talking about Oh, earlier. yeah. Mm. Um, interesting point. It is interesting. I never I, compared dragon eyes to, to people eyes. That's a good, that's a really well, good well, dragon. Point. Well, he was more saying that the dragon's skin color. Oh, their skin color. In okay. terms of, we, don't, we really don't know much, much about the dragon eye color. A lot of times their eyes are just described, I think it's just black or something, but maybe not. I don't know. No, the eyes are usually yellow. some sort of fiery color. It's either molten yellow, molten orange, molten gold, or molten Molten red. Oh, okay. those things. Molten okay. purple. Um, I'm probably just thinking more of the TV show, although we see the one blue eyes. And yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Um, okay, so. Well, that dragon was dead, so maybe that's why its eyes were like, <laughs> dark like that. That make, is a good are point. Sort of, are we going to go over the, this actual travel? Yeah, let's. Well, let's let's talk about the building of the ship, and then we can do the actual travel. Okay. We can, we'll we'll go That's a little what over. I'm most excited. Yeah, we'll for. go a little over the two hours this time because uh, we're not. We gonna... had a, we had a good ten minutes, five minutes of just you know I don't know what I don't know what Alamo was saying. He could have been saying some terrible things about us. It was bad. No, it was bad. It was definitely it was bad. Okay, so this is I was a... backing up the bus. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> So she sails. She, she goes. Uh, to the, to the building of the ship is is a bit of a saga itself. She escapes Dragonstone and goes to Pentos, but then and that's when she changes her name to Alice Westhill, which is it, it, apparently it's it's said in the book that it's a bastard name of her own devising. Mm-hmm. Which Just, I uh, it's it, the hill is of course the bastard yeah, name for the right. West, so and we it's have like Tyrion when he's renamed hill. himself. He does you know Hugor Hill. Yeah. So. Um, that's kind of a comparison there too, yeah. Yeah, it is uh, definitely. Especially because it's Pentos in all in both these <laughs> cases too. But she goes overland to Bravos, which uh, we're going to give a couple shout outs to Adam Worthead here. Uh, oh yeah, Adam Whitehead, who um, of his Atlas of Ice and Fire blog. Yes, which we are patrons of. He has been. He is. Uh, I would say. Uh, an elder statesman of the fandom, not, I don't mean that literally like he's an old guy. I think oh, I'm older but than he him. Is. But he has been around the fandom since the beginning. That's what I mean by that. So he uh, his work is excellent. And uh, yeah, so we're going to be referring to it somewhat here. And this is the first time. He points out, or reminds us rather, that the overland route from Pentos to Bravos is dangerous. you got to go through some, some high mountains. It's probably a little bit like... Uh, Crossing into the Vale. That kind of reminds me of that. Maybe not quite so bad, but... <laughs> yeah, there. See? Just all, you know, see all in there. Here. 
Uh, yeah, just go up this round here and, you know. You gotta go up, yeah, through Andalos. The Velvet Hills, I think it is. Is that right? Yeah, Velvet, Velvet Hills. Hills. And there's, it's and very Andalos, mountainous. And the yeah. Hills of Norvos. Anyways, you guys can't see much, but it helped me. Yeah, so that's that's really interesting um, for that name, that choice of naming there. So she sells the three eggs, which we know is a huge, huge amount of money she can get get from that, given what we saw from Daenerys and all the different prices thrown around yeah. like rough exchange really rates like, she could honestly, get honestly she could probably if she had just taken one egg that would have been the one egg for sale and she could have sold that and financed her ship yeah maybe kind of think so but well, when you have three money, eggs yeah. then you get you know but i you know I, the difference between buying three eggs and one egg when there's if there's only one egg for sale you know yeah i yeah, feel like she could have gotten point. just the, about the same amount for one egg that is a good point. It's, if it's the only one for sale. Yeah, if it's like the only yeah the only one in the whole world, it's that just yeah just Anyways. like the, yeah that's a, that's a good point. Scarcity. Yeah, whatever. She took three eggs. So she sells the three eggs, deposits the money with the Iron Bank, and sets to building the ship. Uh, Shea, please read this quote. It says it's a Karak, which oh, she has yes. dreamed of for years, and this mm -hmm. is really interesting. There's a lot of uh, okay. subtext here. Unlike the galleys that slid forth daily from the arsenal of Bravos, she was not oared. This was a vessel meant for deep waters, not bays and covers and inland shallows. Four-masted, she carried as much sails as the swan ships of the Summer Isles, but with a broader beam and deeper hull that would allow her to store sufficient provisions for longer voyages. When one Bravosi asked her if she meant to sail to Yi-T, Lady Elissa laughed and said, I may. But not by the route you think. <laughs> okay, so several things about that quote. One, galleys slide daily from the arsenal. They can make a galley in one day. They do that. That's, it's, it's not said explicitly that they can make one every day, but they can. That's been said. It's, it's also true of the ancient... It's a comparison to Venice. Venice could do that um, in the real life. So they can make a galley in a day, and this ship took over a year. <laughs> so, whoa, right? That's a... That's a big deal uh, as far as the amount of work and effort that went into the ship. Also, Karak is an ocean-going vessel, and ocean-going vessels are not very common. In the, in the real think, world, well, of course, what, what they did are. Wirt had called, he said, this would be a super Karak. Yeah, yeah, he called Karak. it a super Karak or something and then, like that. And then, and then Autumn Moon and Lady Meredith, the other like, Hightower ships with her, regular would have been regular Karak. Karak just yeah. to, like, should they clearly, like, he did some math and, you know, did some, you know calculations where it seems like this ship was a little bit better than the standard Karak. Yeah, and, and as we see during the adventure, they just the, the sun chaser just massively outpaces the, the autumn moon and the lady meredith yeah uh, so i'm really curious see my question lady meredith you know i guess meredith hightower is one of my guesses do you lml do you have any thoughts on uh, the names there was, i know yeah, you have thoughts yeah. on autumn moon right as now, name. He's, oh yeah, he's right there he changed his hair yes <laughs> yeah i know you have thoughts yeah. on autumn moon so what about lady meredith i don't think that's as evocative at all I, my only guess is that it's just a hightower lady yeah i i think of like he does a lot of variants of the name Mary, and so yeah. I was thinking maybe it's something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really. I I didn't have an obvious clue about that. Well, it seems a little random. Well, sure. It made me think of it made me think of some ships like we've had, like you know, I mean, Columbus ships or whatever. Just some like expedition ships for some. Some of them are these beautiful, evocative names, and some of them are just like the name of a person. <laughs> yeah. What I, person, here's yeah. here's what I will say about that is that. Um, you know, you guys probably both know that one of my big theories is that there was two moons, just like the yes. Carthian legend says, and that one blew up and that we still have one left. Um, and so we often see this pattern of a king with two wives, Aegon the Conqueror, obviously. Uh, and it, they, it, it replays all over the place. Rhaegar, Lyanna, and Elia are the another good one. 
Um, mm-hmm. So here we have one ship called Sun Chaser, another one called Autumn Moon, and the other one's called Lady Meredith. And Meredith isn't a, necessarily like a giveaway moon name, but it's a lady at least. So mm-hmm. you've got a sun with like two sort of smaller ships, you know, going alongside. And of course, one of those ships dies. It gets mm-hmm. pulled down. Is that the Autumn Moon it's or like- Lady Meredith? It is. Um, That's indeed. Autumn Moon that goes down. Yes. Autumn Moon, it figures, right? Because Autumn Sinks makes into you the think sea. of sunset, <laughs> harvest. Yeah. It's the thing right before winter. So when the Autumn Moon goes down, now it's time for winter. And so the moon was definitely... crackened open, right? It cracked. Eh, cracking. Eh. Oh, yeah. It was pulled down by Krakens, totally. <laughs> and then, of course, Nissa and Nissa often... Yeah. Oh, yeah, go on. Nissa and Nissa figures often go into the sea after they die which is a symbolic mm. thing like uh, Catelyn getting tossed into the Green Fork. Danny does her whole thing in the Dothraki Sea. And so I, you have yeah. Autumn I, Moon getting pulled down into the sea. Go ahead. I, what I think is interesting is that Autumn Moon gets pulled down under the sea on, on the third storm um, that they specifically third talk storm, about. Yes. You know, I mean, this oh. quote I put in here is like exactly something. Like, I was like, LML must be having a field day with this. I'll read the quote just because <laughs> it's very evocative. But like, Please. I just yeah, really, the wind finally returned one day near sunset when the sky turned red as blood, but the look of it set met men to muttering. I told them it boded well for us, but I lied. Before <laughs> morning, the stars were gone and the wind began to howl. And then the ocean rose. That was the first storm, Sir Eustace said. Another followed two days later, and then a third, each worse than the one before. And the third one is the one that, you know, a wave or a kraken or whatever or takes both. the autumn moon down. Yeah. But it's and the, the lightning storm. also, yeah. And the lightning and the fire and anyway. So. Storm god and the drowned god so, all yeah, at We once. have this red sky, <laughs> you know, sky red as blood and these three storms. Well, so, yeah, the, and, yeah, when the know. sky is filled with blood, you could also think about that as being filled with bleeding stars, especially when it says the stars are gone. So yeah. the stars either fell out of the sky or now they're obscured by smoke. Those are the two ways you can read that. But yeah, it's definitely long night imagery. Um, and then it's just built up to the third one. And it gives you your three forgings of Lightbringer type deal. And yeah, mm. that's awesome. Horn blasts and all that. Yeah, anyway, yeah. very, yeah, very evocative Threes and sevens. Very <laughs> all there. <laughs> um, so we're still here and she hasn't, we haven't actually gotten to that, but I still had to bring it up. Yeah, um, well, it's fine. We're jumping around is all good. So let yeah. me say, uh, let's let's cover a few more pieces of ground let here. Me, let me just say, I am not in a hurry. I can't think of anything else tonight that I want to okay. do at all. Not even <laughs> anything. I can't think of anything on TV that that I want to watch at all. So <laughs> yeah, we, we won't go, rush. We'll 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 we'll, we'll get through take it. our time. I see lots of people in the chat encouraging us to take our time. So yeah, no, this is too, yeah. We're not gonna. This is too fun of a story. Too good of a story for us to to, to skip. Uh, yeah, we're not gonna. Yeah, we'll we'll if we take an extra half hour hour, then that's cool. Extra fun for everybody listening and yeah. watching. Uh, okay, so yeah, I want to say a little more about Karax real quick. If you look at the, the geography we're faced with here, with Westeros and Essos being as close as they are to each other, there's just not a lot of need for ocean-going vessels. You could sail all the way around Westeros and just hug the shore. That's, I mean, and this, is, this comes up, the Ironborn don't even delve into ocean-going vessels that much. And they're a sailing culture. Same with the, the Red Wine fleet. Same with, with uh, Alan Oaken, or the, the Valerian fleets and all that. They mostly just dealt with ships that could handle the narrow sea and hugging coasts. And that's even true if you go to Essos, because people could just go from port to port by hugging the coast. The only time you go ocean-going vessels, or you need to have an ocean-going vessel, if you're going to cross an ocean. And the people of Westeros and Essos have very little reason to do that. Are they going to go to Sothorios? Well, as we know, there's not a lot of reason to go to Sothorios. Are they going to go to the Summer Islands? Not very often, no. Now, the Summer Islanders are cited as people who do have ships like this. They're the few who make ships like this on the regular. So, 
Not only are they the exception, um, we should suspect, as we have reason to suspect, uh, even Eustace says so himself. Sir Eustace says that he thinks the Summer Islanders know a lot more about Sothorios than they let on. They probably know a lot more about a lot of these things. They probably were aware of these little three, three dragon islands that Alyssa uh, found. And they may already be aware of, a, of an East-West passage. We're going to see all of this in the Long Night prequel show. <laughs> yes, the Summer <laughs> Islanders like, yeah, these know. fools think that, these fools are like, man, what's the West of Westeros? They're like, we've been knowing about that for thousands of years. So yeah. I think that that's uh, some George. There's a little subtext there about the Summer Islanders. Like, yeah. they know what's up. They have been doing this for a lot longer. Yeah, and we'll it, have it makes to say sense. about the Little Islands when we get there. I'm yeah. Excited. So that's that's what I have to say about Carrick. So that's really interesting. So it, there is a, a lack of ocean-going vessels in both Westeros and Essos, and it makes sense that. Mm-hmm. So that would also explain why maybe it took them so long to make this ship. Not only is it a big, fancy, expensive, badass ship, but it's not exactly their main area of expertise. Okay. Yeah, because so much you can do so much just by applying the narrow sea and, and you know, and going to Old Town and back like you can do a lot of trade. Yeah. And then if you want to go any further, you've got to go around Valyria and oh, down to Slaver's Bay or something. It's like, well, that's a whole different enterprise, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's really uh, I mean, you're on sales, supposedly sailed all over and in, in the silence. Well, and, and when Sea Snake went to. Oh, I'm sorry. And when Sea Snake went to Karth, it was like a big deal. That's all I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and we're told that he designed the Sea Snake based on what he knew about uh, Sun Chaser, which, by the way, is an interesting subtopic. How did he learn about the design of Sun Chaser? Did he get it from? Was there like blueprints at Bravos? Yeah, he must have visited the shipwrights. Yeah, so he would have been in. He would have been in touch with all the top shipwrights in the industry, being you know, the Lord of the Tides and the Lord of Driftmark yeah. and the Narrow Sea. I'm yeah. sure he's connected. Yeah, that's a good point. He, he, however, that they information all, came was there. It got to him one way or the other. <laughs> they all see each other at Starry Wisdom Church anyway. So. <laughs> uh, so the Sea Lord, again, she gets a little bit lucky. She has, like, friends in the right places. Sea Lord comes to her and is like, hey, you better get going. You better get on your ship and get out of here. They're they're hunting you. They They know about the eggs. Uh, and we don't want Targaryens and their dragons coming here. We Bravosi don't like that. So she she goes. Of course, it's funny that they don't actually ever. The dragons don't actually ever come to Bravos. They get Barth, who is famously known for riding a donkey. So instead of a Targaryen on a dragon, they get a Septon on a donkey. So not quite so scary. That's one thing we probably will have to cut from this episode. I wanted to talk about Barth's negotiation with the Sea Lord, but that doesn't have to be part of this. We can talk about that some other time. Oh. Um, it is fun, but yeah, uh, but we are a little behind. Super chat from Toby Moss. Love you guys almost as much as Stannis. Well, we, we can't measure up to Stannis, so that is high praise. Thank you very much. So she um, makes a few stops in Sun Chaser before she gets underway. She goes to Estermont, or passes by Estermont, which is mentioned as kind of a funny little coincidence because Reyna is there. So <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. With Whoops. Larissa. With, yeah, exactly. Then she stops at Penthouse for supplies, which is where she had just been about a year before, um, during her sneaking over there. Then she stops at Tyrosh to hire crossbowmen because she's she's uh, wary of passing through the Stepstones without protection because there's lots of pirates there. Now, this is interesting because at this time, it's not mentioned during this during Alyssa's chapters, uh, uh, but it is mentioned elsewhere, that this during this time, Pentos and Tyrosh are at war. So she sailed from one to the other. That probably wasn't just... As simple as just sailing from one place to the other. And then hiring crossbowmen during a time of when the city's already at war, that might have been difficult too. But as we know, she had mad money. So that probably wasn't a big problem. 
And then she stops at least to, to discharge the mercenaries and get water, which is a little bit out of the way, but hey. <laughs> and then she goes to Old Town where she ends up chilling for a while. This is where she, it's dangerous because uh, she could easily get discovered. Um, she knows she's hiding. She's got this special ship. It's going to be the talk of the town because like people are going to be like, whoa, look at that thing. And uh, this this whole pseudonym she has is not uh, necessarily going to hold up. <laughs> Yeah, we all know how many rich female sailors there are. <laughs> just, just all over the place. And went, I'm Alice Westhill. <laughs> <laughs> I got these dragon eggs from, well, never mind. <laughs> no, it's not the sun chaser. It's the uh, fun spacer. That's the name of my ship. Yeah. Uh, so in Old Town, we learn a few little sailing stories here. We hear about... Mariners from the Iron Islands discovering Lonely Light. We get that yeah, story, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Kind of, I've always wondered about the Farmans and the Far Winds, and Far Islands, far, yeah. and <laughs> I've always just wondered if they had a connection between them. And I think it's interesting that they brought them up right there. Mm, still didn't really answer my question. I don't really, mm. I don't, I don't really think they do. But mainly, my question is because the Far Winds have skin changing abilities. It seems very clear. Yes. So my question is whether the Farmen do as well. I guess. Well, and we know that they obviously got that from the descendants of Brandon the ship, right? Yeah. Uh, some of uh, whose skin changer children, bastard son, uh, you know, got marooned on Farwind Isle. And then yeah. when the Farwinds got there, they, I mean, how, I don't know how else. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, sure anyways, but uh, basically, I guess I just want Elissa Farman to also have some skin changing abilities, a little more comparison with Arya. <laughs> <laughs> a couple other things. Yeah, we want to talk about Brandon the Shipwright, who had a same, the same kind of dream and compare the two here. Uh, I saw someone in the chat a while. I forget where, where it was. The chat. Someone was saying that they shipped that they shipped Brandon the shipwright and Alyssa Farman's descendants together. Yeah, uh, they're I, obviously very. Far we got a question about that actually. Um, Maybe that's where I saw it. Anyway, it racked me up, especially the ship. That's what I was kind of alluding to. Yeah. So this is along with the same. This is re relevant to the same the story about the Farwinds because during this time where Alyssa is at at, at uh, Old Town getting crew and uh, more supplies, we we get these stories about other explorations and discoveries like that. And the Maesters, we get away in from the Maesters and the 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 Maesters, the Freehold of Valyria, Karth, Yt Lang, all of their histories and lore believe the world is round. Uh, and Alyssa, of course, agrees with them, but she thinks that. Uh, I love, by the way, the line in the book, they're like, then, George is like, then as now, ignorant small folk, believe, which is just like him getting against those flat earthers. <laughs> well, he also he also is like, well, obviously the sun and the moon are round, so it stands to reason that, you know, the earth must be round. He's, yeah, it's again, like, yeah. hello, guys. It's, it's not good, that hard to figure out. The whole the earth and sun, the sun and moon are round also is, is such a great line. Like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, why don't you just point at that? So, but Alyssa agrees with the Maesters that the world is round, but she, she has this great quote here that it's more than, than they think. Uh, she says, uh, do you want to read this quote, Shay? The world was far larger and far stranger than the Maesters imagine. Not for her the merchant's dream of reaching Althos and Ashai by sailing west. Hers was a bolder vision. Between Westeros and the far eastern shores of Essos and Althos, she believed, lay other lands and other seas waiting to be discovered. Another Essos, another Sothorios, another Westeros. We don't need another Sothorios. Yeah, I don't know about another Sothorios, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> One's enough. But it's interesting that Althos gets mentioned a few times, because obviously Althos was added with the, the lands of ice and fire 
uh, and wasn't has never been mentioned before in the books really at all. And you wonder about that continent because if she's talking about trading, reaching there to trade, that must mean there's trading spots there. And David, this is relevant to the migration we talked about from Ashai in the Great Empire of the Dawn. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is pretty off topic, so I'll keep it brief. But people were migrating in many directions. I'm going to get in the migrating stuff during the islands talk. Oh, okay, cool. Stuff there, but anyways. Okay, well, I just I'll just finish this thought then. The the if people migrated were fleeing Ashai and the long night, they some of them obviously went west over the Bones Mountains. Some of them went east to places we've never even heard of yet. Uh, and some of them may have gone south to Ulthos because Ulthos isn't that far away. Um, that would make sense anyway. Anyway, well, let's talk about Brandon well, the Shipwright for now and come back to uh, okay. come back to that. Um, well, yeah, who's Brandon the Shipwright, whose descendants are now the uh, Yellow Emperor in uh, Carcosa or whatever it is. <laughs> yes, the Starks. That's what happened to him. The Starks of the E.T., uh, so Brandon the Shipwright had the same dream of sailing uh, west. By the way, I just want to point out people in the chat, like Joe Magician, Pablo Avastorgi. Anyways, how do you say it? But they're saying Australthos, Americos, Atlantisthos, <laughs> I just like the, like everyone name your own. Name your own uh, continent. Uh, so I have continent. So let's all do that and come back next week with some really great names. Continos. Continos. <laughs> Tectonos. 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 We come from the moon. Marzos. Marthos. So there's a several differences with Brandon's situation and uh, Alyssa's, although the general idea of sailing west is the same. But there's some pretty significant differences too. First of all, he had a whole fleet. Second of all, he was lord of, or king rather, of in the north. So he orders people to go with him, and they're going with him. Alyssa <laughs> just has to like pay people and, and convince them. Uh, second of all, no chance thousands of years ago that the North had shipbuilders yeah, that could make these Karaks. Yeah, they could, didn't have right? the technology. I just don't think, yeah, I, I think that they've likely had far weaker ships. He was ahead of his time. Yeah. And uh, that matters because out of, out of the deep ocean, you're going to get waves that are really big. Yeah. And a, a bigger ship just has a better chance, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. And we see this, we see that in action. The Sun Chaser just has a way easier time than the Autumn Moon and the um, Lady Meredith. Yeah. And the Autumn Moon and Lady Meredith are meant to be pretty advanced ships. Yeah. Those are high tower ships. Like, those, that's a sailing town with, with all the money they need. And yeah. So uh, it both tells you how amazing the Sun Chaser is and just how difficult this, this, this journey is. Also, there is this important factor of the difference in sea and climate. Uh, here's another quote. Please. So yeah, they, the, this talking about Bran and the shipwright, obviously, that he sailed the northern seas where monstrous krakens, sea dragons, and leviathans the size of islands swam through cold gray waters and the freezing mists hid floating mountains made of ice. Alice Westhill did not intend to voyage in their wake. She would sail her sun chaser on a more southerly course, seeking warm blue waters and the steady winds she believed would carry her across the Sunset Sea. And she's smart because who would go from up there? <laughs> now, so yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that's very smart. So yeah, so she took the, the, the route that's more likely to be used by like the Summer Islanders because that's more on like their uh, longitude. If I'm using it, that's longitude, right? Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, also, we have, well, but we should entertain the possibility that Brandon, the shipwright, did get, did make it. Uh, because you would say, you might say, well, if he made it, why did he never come back? Well, that's where knowledge of how trade winds and, and, and things like this come in handy, which I'm not really not an expert on. But I know that we learn here that 
this from the Lady Meredith journey, they had a real hard time coming back. And that's because of the way the winds work. Mm-hmm. So just just because they could sail one way, like Lady Alice says, the winds yeah. prevail that People direction. People point out, by the way, this person, Ron Holler, so she's also notable, a compare, like historical parallel, that we have like Viking longships made it to continental North America mm-hmm. and um, stuff well, like that. Well, but they did that by following the shore, though, is the only thing. Yeah. That's true. Well, sort of. They, yeah, they from well. Once they got to oh, Greenland, though, they had to make the they had to cross the Atlantic uh, to get to Greenland, and then then they followed the shore to find places like uh, right. But it's Finland actually not that, that far. It's one of those distortions yeah. of the flat map thing. It's That's like true. actually not very far at all. It's true. It's Maybe it's it's, adven- far it's 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 brave and adventurous. So but we, yeah. You know. Oh no, I'm not saying it's easy and it's oh, yeah. cold as fuck too. I'm just saying like. <laughs> They they didn't strike out across the the middle of the heart of the ocean like yeah you're right they, you know that's true that's that's a fair point so Although like, I'm not a, any kind of ship expert so yeah, don't <laughs> call me neither yeah I'm, I'm, that stuff. <laughs> I'm no mariner <laughs> so we have I a call question half the time <laughs> yeah we have a question from uh, Al Iskander uh, aka Scott Alexander Wortman who once wonders if they could have made it and if they did would there be Stark Stark descendants in Essos or elsewhere well. The fact that they didn't ever come back, as I said, is not necessarily evidence they didn't make it. I think our, I think the evidence is against them making it because of the difficult northern seas, their weaker ships, and the total lack of evidence that, you know, anyone survived. But it's possible. And if there are descendants over there, that would be really interesting. I, I kind of doubt that would come up in the story. But George could give us a little tidbit like some interesting gray eyes, you know, from some far Easterners, like that reminds us of the stark colored eyes or something like that. Some sort of subtle reference that could make, that could spin the fandom in circles thinking how that could be a stark descendant or something like that. Well, so Cersei, when she tells Ned Stark to go home in the throne room at the climax of the game of Thrones, she says, return to the gray waste you call home. And the gray waste is the name of the quote, frozen desert that's East of Essos in the far north. Well, see, my see, I, I see the comparison there as being more just showing that um, these this calamity, this long night type thing, has happened at the different hinges of the world. You know, I on agree. the Essos I agree. side. But you know, I, I, it's a good valid thing. But I just want to bring up oh, that I I'm think just, that's a great quote uh, you know, in terms <laughs> of us, you know, talking about um, the things that are on the ends of the world. The other well, and, and they also are like they have that. shape changers, right, from most of Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that was a, that's a nice little world building bonus that was fun. <laughs> I mean, we'll probably never know, but you know, if you yeah. want to spin the, if you want to write the fan fiction about Brandon, uh, Brandon the shipwright, uh, you know, creating the legends of the <laughs> shape changers in the gray waste. Then, You're saying you know. if you want to write fan fiction about it, you will read it. Mel <laughs> will be there. He yeah, will be beta for, reading your fan fiction that. about this. <laughs> he's committed. Okay, so let's see here. So while she's sitting around getting her, trying to get more people to join, more uh, join her crew and all that, uh, word kind of gets out because, like we said, it's a little, this is hard to conceal. And so Donald the Delayer, of uh, a, a great name for the Lord of the Hightower, sends two of his <laughs> grandsons, Eustace and Norman, who we've mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, they come down to question her and figure out what the deal is. And here's where her <laughs> one other one of her amazing talents comes in, her charisma, her ambition, her vision, her and her ability to sell this to other people of somewhat like mind. They instead of arresting her, they join her, which is just awesome. <laughs> and uh, so they just start raising crews and outfitting their ships instead of arresting her. And finally word reaches King's Landing. So clearly Donald the Delayer is uh, delaying this news getting out. 
but eventually it does and he doesn't want to he has to do his thing where he plays both sides he doesn't want to be the he doesn't want to be like oh i was helping them escape but he also doesn't want to not let them escape because they're his grandsons and and all that so uh again luck on her side well and donald the delayer on her side basically as right around the time she leaves finally uh jerry gets word that this is up and this might be a little bit of telling us about how dragons work, this next bit, because we're told that he wants to go chase her on his on his dragon. And Alyssa, or not Alyssa, Alisan and Barth and others are like, dude, no way. You can't take Vermithor that far out into the open sea. There's nowhere to land, all that stuff. So that's maybe George is kind of giving us a little bit of clue really about the capabilities of dragons. If, if, if Reyna and Dreamfire had just gone with Elissa and like Dreamfire could land on the ship, you know, and like have landfall, you know. Anyways. And then just like go up as a scout and look around yeah, and try scout, to find. Exactly. I feel like it would be really mm. useful if they stayed within, you know, some distance of the ship that the dragon problem could with, be really useful. The problem for that is that you see how much dragons need to eat. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're it's not like the, the dragon's just going to like burn the, the, the waves, you know, burn the ocean and it'll just, dead fish will just rise and <laughs> catch them and just like torch fish. I don't Looks know. like LML has a take here. Yeah, I got I got one for you. I'm just going to read this from the World of Ice and Fire Beyond the Free Cities. Here's a potential parallel. Uh, talking about Sothorios. And uh, I'll actually back up since this is a little taster for your Sothorios episode. Not your Sothorios, but your uh, Gagasos. It's yeah. uh, so sad. Colonies planted here wither and die. Only Zamatar endured for more than a generation. And today, even that once great city is a haunted ruin. Slowly being reclaimed by the jungle, slavers, traders, and treasure hunters have visited Sothorios over the centuries, but only the boldest ever venture far from the coastal garrisons and enclaves to explore the mysteries of the continent's vast interior. Those that dare more often than not set forth into the green never to be seen again. We do not even know the true size of Sothorios. Carthine maps once showed it as an island, twice the size of Great Morak, but their trading ships venturing farther and farther down the eastern coasts were never able to find the bottom of it. Giskari, who settled Zamatar and Gorosh, believed Sothorios to be as large as Westeros. Genera Beleris flew her dragon, Terax, farther south than any man or woman had ever gone before, mm -hmm. seeking the boiling seas and steaming rivers of legend, but found only endless green jungle, deserts, and mountains. She returned to the Freehold after three years mm -hmm. to declare that Sothorios <laughs> was as large as Essos, a land without end. So I just thought that was kind of three years is about how long it took as well um, for um, Lady Meredith to return. FYI, good point. Just, good point. It took her as long three years to explore Sothorios, and it took Autumn Moon. I mean, not Autumn Moon, Lady Meredith, three years to go from Old Town all the way, you know, all of that whole to those three had. islands, and then all the way to and then all the way to summer, not to Sothorios, the and then, yeah. then to Summer Islands, <laughs> you know, to all Treats Town. Anyways, it took them three years to do all of that. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's that's a good catch. I didn't. The three years both ways. That's neat. So okay, here's a. Of course, no, the point you were making is that on uh, a dragon uh, trying to fly west yeah. has nowhere to land. Of no, course, and nowhere to land. Even though Sothorios is dangerous, you can land here and there real quickly and yeah, catch hopefully a nap, you don't get get a worm parasites. Or yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the biggest danger. If well, not maybe one of the yeah, biggest. One danger. of them. Okay. Velociraptors and a <laughs> couple more questions here. Uh, another one from Marvin Martian. Could the dreams Marvin, Marvin. Alyssa had mm -hmm. just be an adventurous spirit or sent by some of the Lovecraftian entities or gods or magicians hinted at in this saga? That's a question that is, is that's a, I love that question. Um, first of all, this is 
something that dates back to the origins of human societies. Like people have long believed that dreams were sent by gods or other beings. And Lovecraft loves riffing on that. He loves having like when Cthulhu rose from the sea, the most creative people around the world, the sensitive types had dreams of this. Mm -hmm. And this, 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 the protagonist of that story is Corroborate realizing that people all over the planet were having these dreams at the same time. And it terrifies him, understandably. So could these beings exist in Westra or in A Song of Ice and Fire? Absolutely. Uh, Melisandre even says that, you know, these are the dreams sent by the great other. She makes comments that allude to that sort of concept. So I think that is uh, one of those things that we'll never know. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's entirely possible. Uh, LML, well, I, I know you've got obvious. some takes on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's obvious. It's Quave in the future sending dreams back yeah. to her past self as Alyssa Farman. Uh, <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> Alyssa 1 is Alyssa 2 brand. They're all the same brand. They're all the same Alyssa. Yeah. But you did make the point that her dream of like cities shining under the sun yeah, sounds very cities, like... Yeah. Uh, Randall Carter's persistent dream of this golden city that he's always chasing or yes. whatever. So Randall Carter, that's exactly what I was thinking of Randolph Carter. Yeah, I, I've compared him to Euron before. Randolph. Uh, right, so so it, it does, George is definitely thinking Lovecraft here a little bit. So yeah, it's not a, it's, it's good tinfoil. I'll say that. It's tinfoil, but it's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, super chat from Richard Tabor. Everything George R. R. Martin, the album Clutch. Big news of long nights. Escaping from characters' personal prison planets, maybe while enjoying some space grass along the way. So space grass, big news, and prison planet are songs by the band Clutch, who are my favorite lyricists of all bands. Uh, they have fantastic lyrics. Clutch, I've seen Clutch live maybe just under 30 times. No, no lie. I am not exaggerating. So I love to see someone refer to Clutch. I assume Richard knows that I'm a Clutch fan or that would be a little random. But uh, anyway, that's I recommend this band Clutch. They have amazing <laughs> lyrics. Uh, they're like a, a, a used to be like a stoner rock band. Now they're kind of a blues rock band. Uh -huh. OK, so let's talk about um, the, the, more of the actual journey. You see, oh, you've seen them too, huh? Yeah, well, with Deftones a couple times back oh, when, okay. uh, back in the day, a long time ago when Deftones was young. But mm -hmm. continue on. Very nice. <laughs> okay, so the three ships, Sun Chaser, Autumn Moon, and Lady Meredith. <laughs> this is one of the things we were waiting for. Uh, we're talking about the actual, we've talked about parts of the actual journey before, but now we're going to really focus on it. Uh, LML, tell us about these names, these ship names. You've, you've touched on it somewhat, but let's, let's like, focus on a little more now. Uh, well, I, I mean, I've said what I have to say about it as far as the symbolism goes. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, cool. I thought maybe there was a little more. All right, then. Well, then then uh, let's let's move past that, that then. No, the, the main the way I see it is with the sun and two moons pattern, because the autumn moon is the one that makes you think of like fire and sunset and bringing on the long night. So that would be the, the one I associate with Nissa Nissa, the moon that already blew up in the past. And Lady Meredith would be associated with essentially the ice moon. So what is what does it say about Lady Meredith? Is there what's the description of her when she comes back to shore? Read that to me, and you might get you might find a clue. I mean, the high towers in general tend towards like icy symbolism because of all the White Tower and the mm -hmm. Gerald High Tower being a um, a Knight of the Kingsguard who have snow white armor and all that stuff. Mm. But I would I would suspect that Lady Meredith has some clue about ice symbolism somewhere. She yeah. came back pretty bedraggled, right? Yes, yeah, she's I mean, the one that was rammed by the... Yeah, by a, by a huge white leviathan. <laughs> a Moby, Moby Dick, Dick type uh, thing, parallel, yeah, yeah, which we're going to get into. Clearly. Oh, okay. Well, that's, clearly. yeah, that's your, that's, that's like your, your white sea dragon. Yeah, so you know, this is, yeah, thing. they have that quote about how um, they are attacked 
by, well, they encounter a pod of leviathans, but one of them, which is this huge white bull, larger than a ship, it's quoted as, um, slams into Lady Meredith and cracks the hull. And um, so, yeah, that clearly is evocative of Moby Dick, and, you know, which is inspired by the sinking of the Essex and just the idea of these whales attacking ships. <laughs> yeah. He had to throw some some uh, Herman Melville in there, I guess. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they have other attacks, too. I mean, obviously, we talked about the maybe Kraken. Um, it says to a man, they were convinced they had seen a giant Kraken pull autumn moon beneath the sea, um, is what, you know, Eustace says, but mm-hmm. we're still meant, it's, we're still clearly meant to, um, doubt that based Eustace on the himself writing. doesn't think he, he doesn't think so. Yeah, yeah. It says, you know, that's all he says. That's all it was a wave, a monster of a wave, but all my men were screaming Kraken, Kraken, and not a word I said would ever disabuse them. And this is George's device to get them to turn around. And, and like so we have someone to tell the story. Here, I think What's that? the fans are the, the men yelling Kraken, Kraken, and nothing George will say will disabuse us. Uh, <laughs> I like that take the meta. Yeah. The fans are yelling for a Kraken. I definitely am yelling for funny. Krakens. That is cool. George is, is the captain, of course. That's, yeah. that's great. <laughs> captain Kraken. So one thing I will point out is that uh, you just mentioned the uh, the white leviathan that hit the boat was as big as a bull or is like a bull leviathan. You yeah. said the word yeah, bull. Yeah, it's white, a, great, a huge white bull. Yeah, it's a yeah, white so that's bull. How it's written, and this yeah. is a and this is a high tower ship, so it makes you think uh, of the white, white bull. Daryl <laughs> Hightower. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, that's very nice. nice. Good that's one. Really, I didn't catch that. That's very that's, clever. That's really good. funny. That's that really is good. really and very this, clever. And so, and the white bull. So this specifically, like Aziz, you probably have heard me talk about this. Ashe, you maybe haven't, but basically, the others are. I mean, the Kingsguard act as symbolic stand-ins for the others. They have snow white armor, ice armor. Pale as snow, they're in the moonlight. They're white swords, just like the others have pale swords, and there's all it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, their identity is stripped away and all that. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, so the fact that um, this ship is associated with the white bull that gives you the the Kingsguard symbolism of Gerald Hightower, and also the idea of a even though he's using Leviathan for a whale here, Leviathan of the Bible is an actual sea dragon. And every time he talks about Leviathans, he's, or at least a lot of the time, he's slipping you clues about the sea dragon myth, which is Yeah, he brings up sea dragons, uh, you know, at least one or two, a couple of times in Fire and Blood, as it so Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He specifically talks about Leviathans, sea dragons, krakens, like he lists them all off. With the brand in the shipwright thing, that quote had a sea dragon quote, too. Yeah. For one of them, anyway. Yeah, he he made more mention of sea dragons, yeah, that's for sure. Well, which is interesting, because it makes me think that maybe actually sea dragons are also a real thing. I took it to be mostly a myth that there wasn't an actual sea dragon, but... Like maybe there are. Maybe there are. Yeah, he just keeps mm-hmm. bringing it up. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I That'd think. be cool. Um, uh, sure. So, um, so we can get on. Let's see. So, in all of these attacks, I mean, we mentioned this kraken cra- slash wave attack. Either way, it was a terrifying thing that happened. But Sun Chaser, it's worth noting, was not around for this. Had gone ahead um, and comes back and saves Lady Meredith and like Tozer, basically to those three islands. To those yeah. three islands that we're about to talk about. But then the, the crew of Lady Meredith are terrified. They do not want to go forward because of what they saw. Um, but Sun Chaser didn't see it, and they they do go forward. So they're not spooked by that. Yeah. They didn't see it. Uh, so there's yeah, yeah there's maybe but, this couple that might have been spooked when they yeah. landed on the island and started to talk about it. But uh-huh. still. 
experiencing it and hearing about it, definitely yeah. very different. So we've got these three small islands that they land at, which they name Aegon, Rhaenys, and Visenya. Elissa names them that. Uh. So, yeah, they're <laughs> called the Targaryen Islands, uh, which is really funny um, to me. They're the Dragon Stones. Yeah, the Dragon Stones. Um, well, it's, but- sort of, it's sort of reinforcing uh, that whole, like, uh, solar king and two queens symbolism of the ships uh-huh. when they find three islands and name them after the, yeah, the Targaryen name after those three. So oh, this cool. is the, the thing that I think is really interesting about these islands is what, what's there already. Um, we, we know that there's wild pigs, um, which makes me wonder if this is at all indicative of the previous human presence on there, which could be summer islanders that have stopped there over many long period of time. But we like with our talk about the great empire of the dawn and that this past culture makes sense that some past culture that has traveled around like that would have been there. Yeah, they, they, it's, yeah. it's unlikely that they literally discovered it. Yeah. The first people ever to see it. Yeah, like, I don't that's think so. very unlikely. Um, so we have that. Um, but we also have like these large lizards that are described that I thought were really interesting. They're, they're described. They sound as, like Komodo dragons. Yeah, don't they? yeah exactly. Yes. Because they're described as huge, sluggish gray lizards as big as deer, and they have a venomous bite, which Komodo, dra- Komodo dragons have. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about, like, so it's, it's really actually very funny to me that the, the Hightower men um, and the Lady Meredith, they try to take some of these big lizards on board they take three also three notably but three of the great gray lizards on board and one bit his steersman whose leg turned green and had to be removed so i guess komodo dragons but i'm really just picturing like them like trying to like wrestle with these yeah what were they like they put leashes on them like were they like maybe we can eat this while we're out yeah i don't know what their (laughs) idea was anyways uh, it amused me but i would have been i would have been voting like let's bring back a corpse of one (laughs) yeah that's hilarious but see this other thing i think um that really cracked me up when i thought about it was they uh this line um eustace says um he talks about we have spices here i have never tasted in these pink fruits we have our fortunes here in our hands and so i thought it was kind of fun to think about what pink fruits they don't have in Westeros or what pink fruits they do have in Westeros because this could that could be indicative that some people have made journeys out there since then to import these wild pink fruits. But um, so in doing some looking through Search of Ice and Fire and all that, grapefruit is mentioned once in the series by Tyrion, who is someone who would have maybe had an interaction with a grapefruit. Yeah. I um, mean, it's not Being mentioned rich. as the fruit. It's yeah. you just compare something to a grapefruit. I mean, there, you know, there's pink grapefruit and stuff like that. But there's also guava or pink, and we don't have any mention of that in the series by that name. Um, and there's other pink fruits. But my pick for what's on the Targaryen Islands are dragon fruit, <laughs> for obvious reasons. But dragon fruit are like bright pink, and you know, it's just, anyways, that's my pick. <laughs> that's that's head cannon, like instant head cannon. Yeah, <laughs> like yes, fruit. those are dragon fruit. Gotta be, gotta be. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's a, yeah, there's a ton of other choices as well. And I did a search, like cranberries and strawberries are mentioned in the series like in a search of ice and fire strawberries are strawberries there's strawberry pies there's many mentions of strawberries and cranberry and pomegranate is mentioned i remember Um, pomegranate yeah there's mentions of all of those but again because this is in the past you could say that the existence of these fruits in the current series means that people have traveled to these little islands again potentially but probably not but i just want to bring that up as a possibility right on Um, but there's no mention of dragon fruit in the whole series Um, so before this things had gone wrong, the expedition started off great. They were they had like 12 days of smooth sailing and then at one point they sort of do a reckoning and realize they're probably farther west than any known Westerosi has ever been and they celebrate and this is where it gets a little 
you know, Gildane throws out a, a, a reference to a, a, a real world uh, phrase. Pride goes before a fall instead of pride goeth before a fall. And they lose wind for like a fortnight. So things are bad for a while. And then they get some bad omens with like maggots in a meat cask. And then we have that whole yeah, deal we talked red. about earlier with the blood yeah. red sky. So we don't have to talk about that again. Storms. But then and the so things were starting to get bad. And then they got progressively worse. You get the bad storm, second worst storm, third storm. And then the crew doesn't want to go any farther. We have a super chat here, though, for you to read Oh, we do? Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have a super chat from Chicxulub Rob. That is uh, Robert the Fourth Ardeacor. He says, we have air dragons, earth dragons, that's the fireworms, ice dragons. Why not sea dragons? <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, if we have dragons of all types, why not sea dragons? It does. And, dra and that's... It's, it's, they make sense. They're already reptilian. They have scales. <laughs> you know, it fits. Uh, oh, I like Nina's thought as well that it could it could also mean that the high towers cultivated them afterwards. That they could take they could take these fruits and the seeds and, and then be plant, able to them. plant them and not have to go all the way back there. Um, that would be a yeah, great source of, of income, actually. So I think that's a neat idea um, for sure. In fact, we have that as a question here: is is there any commerce back and forth between those two places? Like, are there people sailing there to get that fruit and those yeah, other stuff? Um, so they wouldn't need to keep sailing to they get the fruit to, if they could. But who knows if it like the climate and yeah, all that? That's true. I, I don't know about all that and what fruit it is even. But yeah. So Eustace uh, is quoted as saying that there's no way he can go west, even though Alice is like, what are you talking about? These two, these islands are tiny. It's great that we found this, but this is nothing like what we said we were going to do. We were going to go west, 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 like really to go west. And this is just the beginning. But he's like, no, nah, no way. Uh, my crew saw that other ship go down I mean, his there. His brother just died. Yeah, and it was well. his brother like, too. I don't. I think that is, is off. It can be you know just glossed over by in my by myself. No, you're well. right. That's like, a huge point. Like his brother just died in front of him. His whole crew and ship, probably a lot of people he knew and was friends with. And anyways, so he, you're right. He's <laughs> saying his crew doesn't want to go on, but he probably doesn't want to either. He's yeah. probably like, yeah, <laughs> probably like good captain, bad sailor kind of <laughs> game. There. But no, yeah, he didn't want to go. So. Uh, so they go back home. They try to go back home. But as we see here, they missed badly. I mean, they really, really missed badly. Like they <laughs> way, way got off of track. They tried. They're like, oh, well, let's go back to the Summer Islands. And they missed the Summer Islands, missed Nath and got all the way to Sartorios. Yeah. And this is where we... This is and they start to just die off. They just they can't fix their ship. Some They're, of them are disappeared. As, people as are, happens all the time. All in the yeah. all the various things that we hear can happen on Sithorias. All of them happen to these guys: disease, strange creatures, and uh, just vanishings in yeah, the middle of the night. So exactly. it, it's basically the same stuff we've already heard about Sithorias. And yeah, if you want a full treatment of that, it. check out Nymeria Part Two. It's called Ten Thousand Ships, but it's really. About half the episode is about Sartorius, if not more than half. Uh, so we really get deep into all that stuff there. Um, but they do get, you know, get going again. And thanks repairs. to the Summer Islanders. They, they get to the Summer Isles where they were trying to go. where the, which ha they, they have lots of ships and shipbuilders. And they go to Tall Trees Town, TTT. -T -T. Yeah. And get their, get their stuff all fixed up. So this is this something that reminds me of Sam and the Summer Islanders with he's with Gilly and they are running they 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 have to sell the books uh, to the Maesters or to the to the Summer Islanders to pay for their passage and Sam is really sad because he's like these books are so important and we're going to give them to the Maesters and the and the and the Kohuru Mo is that who says it? yeah he's like ha, don't be silly man they're still going to get these books they're just going to buy them from us instead of you giving them to them so don't worry about it man can I, can I tell you like how much better that made me feel to read that I was like oh thank goodness they're still going to get the books like, <laughs> I, care, 
I care so much about books. Like, no, not the books. Uh, but um, can I ask a question? Like, if they landed in Sothorios and they were shooting for Old Town, like they missed by a well, lot. They were shooting for the Summer a Isles. Huge amount. They're, they're yeah. trying to get to the Summer Isles. Well, either like yeah, they're yeah, trying either. to yeah, because that would be a lot. No, but regardless, they missed by a lot. That would be a yeah. landmark for them to yeah yeah. But yeah, it's really bad. And this, so this is why we talk early about the Summer Islanders. Like they probably know more than they if let on. If you look on. at um, if you look at um, Wortheads, who we've cited a few times, his Atlas of Ice and Fire blog, um, he did a whole post. I mean, he just posted it a few a couple days ago. Actually, it was just in time for the stream as it happens. Anyways, he did um, as he does. He does map mock-ups, and he did do like an, a mock-up of, of the course of the Lady Meredith and how what they would have had to do to miscalculate course to miss the Summer Isles. And I have it like I, I won't be able to put it on the screen. Actually, maybe I could quick enough and cite him. But um, I recommend looking it up if you were interested in this topic because it's really um, an interesting blog post is all of his stuff is so let's see what else do we have here uh lml do you have any thoughts on the this distance issue or sothorios or this the, the tale as told by eustace or anything else before we move on thought it was interesting from a narrative point of view that they hit this spot where it's like you know they reach the islands what do you want to do now see i think this if it wasn't for the fact that um Alyssa Farman was basically wanted in Westeros. The smarter thing would have been to turn back when you reach those three islands, go back home, and then try to come back and find those three islands again with more provisions and start to build that up as a base and then use that as a base for further exploration from there. And you mm. could more I systematically explore that way but she was she was of course wanted and so that wasn't a choice she Very was good just point. Gonna, i'm gonna put this on know. the screen for anyone watching who can look at it you might get just a little glimpse of um oh chicken our cat just knocked something over but um whether you can read this well or not you can still see the general course of the summer isles and how much they had to have really veered off honestly you can see that too aziz yeah um, i mean they, that's the thing about ancient they had no way to know where they were basically yeah, they don't have like a sextantblog.com yeah um, dot wordpress.com huh. you can um, I, I pictured those targaryen islands like a lot further out yeah west. yeah it's a, i trust Worthead. i will say in terms of it said he says it's south by southwest is what it's quoted as anyways he does his research on you know the name of his blog is atlas of ice and fire so um while he's not um always what i don't perfect, understand I is if, trust him generally yeah sure i just i don't understand if they were that close and they wanted to turn around from there why wouldn't they sail north east and go to old town i mean getting to sothorios or the Probably summer islands of the is, winds i would I it's would because guess. of the winds yeah I, I would assume that they didn't think they could make that journey back it was a harder journey than the farther journey that's what i was saying about um, real world navigation and about yeah, these, here, these passages like you can't always go the same way back and forth but yeah sorry what was that fuzzies Oh, uh, yeah, you can't always go the same ways back and forth with because the, with the way the winds work. The winds will blow one way, but they don't, like, reverse, you know, half the day. They're just always blowing that way for the most part. So you have to, when you go one way across the ocean, you can't necessarily go the same route back. So I think that's what happened with these guys. They may have tried to go northeast, uh. and they couldn't. The winds wouldn't allow them, especially with their ships so damaged. So... I think that's a big part yeah, of there, it. Yeah, there tend to be these little loops and conveyor belts in the currents. So I guess yeah. maybe that's how you have to get home. But it just seems weird. Like, I pictured them being a lot further away. And so when they're trying to get back to Old Town, like, it doesn't quite work. But maybe that's not the implication. 
Yeah, it says, yeah, Lady Marathon heads home, but it's forced off course by bad weather. So, yeah, I think it is a lot of it is that they tried. They tried what you were saying, and they failed. And we're like, well, let's try something else rather yeah. than keep trying something that we're going to die doing. It does sound pretty crazy, but if you think about it... Um a storm will force a ship in a direction that it has zero control over. And if the storm lasts for several days, you can imagine being really, really far off And course. not knowing where you are, you know, 100% um, in relation. Well, you'd, you'd use the stars to navigate. So you'd be able to tell if you were, like, way further south than you're supposed to be. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But these are, as we've said, these are not And sometimes if you're storming. Who, they don't navigate well. by the stars as much. Sometimes because, you can see the stars, you know, and stuff yeah. like that, um, depending on the weather. So, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, some of these would be unfamiliar says, stars. Knows things, says sailing equals difficult. <laughs> yes. I agree. They did a lot better than I could have done in the situation. Definitely, Joe Magician. Joe Magician's like you do a lot of math on a map and hope it's right, but sometimes you end up in Sothorios. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the Summer Islanders get hired as crew, and this is part of what, the, what we hear the story of them returning. People are like, at first, they're like, "Whoa, who are these people? Did they actually find like?" Dark-skinned people to the far west, they look like summer... Oh, they are summer islanders. Okay. <laughs> that's cool, but that's not as exciting as we thought. Uh, so these guys make mad money off of their 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 hookup with Eustace Hightower because, you know, well, first of all, he's a Hightower. Second of all, they were desperate. And third of all, they had rich cargo from both these islands and from Sothoria. Well, he should have so. done is, is, is marketed his tail and sold the, the book. <laughs> Probably <laughs> should have. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when you're already super rich. You're like, eh, uh, just throw so that money on the pile. For, I'll just give the story out for free. Yeah. So it's, wait, is that, what do you call that? The Sostorios? Is that the, hmm? is that the Sostorios? Sostorios. I see. Yes. That's bad. Um, okay. So. So, of course, it's important for George to have written it with someone coming back or else we would never have any sort of narrator telling us what happened. So that's that's part of the way the part of why one ship had to make it back home. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so he's used to his is burned. He's his eyes are, you know, he's, his, his face is all wrinkly. He's been mal malnourished. And, uh, of course, he's traumatized by the loss of his brother and being in Sothorios and seeing his crew dying all around him. Also in that blog post I had I was talking about where he worked out some of the distances. Um, like he's previously worked out the distance from the west coast of Westeros to Ashai at around 19,000 miles, whereas the distance from Marine to Westeros um, is around 25,000 miles. So he just looked up, you know, he worked out some interesting um, figures on one way being faster. Or not faster, shorter. No, it's not faster or shorter, shorter distance. Okay. Not necessarily faster right. in traveling. Yes, you never, yeah, um, there's always other factors. But the other thing is that um, about when Coralise would have seen seen the Sun Chaser in a shy, mm. would have been, he, he worked out about 19 to 23 years later. Right, so, uh, which is important because, yeah, that's, that's for actually. For her age and if she would be alive. She would not, yeah, she's not that much older than Coralise. Like, she's substantially older, but not like. Lifetimes. No, she's she wouldn't be dead. Twenty-five-ish yeah, years been, older. Yeah. So maybe she'd be in her forties and had, a, had could have had kids, could have had a life, could have had any number of things, or she could just be dead. Yeah. But it isn't like a long time that it is very reasonable for her ship to be there with her. Yeah. And the sea snake. His. This was his second journey to Ash. Was to Ash. Of his nine voyages, it was the second one that was to, or maybe it was his third. It was one of the early ones that was to Ashai. So uh, he would have still been in his relatively, you know, young age, considering how long his life was. Uh, I would imagine he was in his mid to late 20s. Yeah. Um, Early. 
Yeah, yeah word had estimates you would have gotten to Ashdod somewhere between 75 to 79. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. That's yeah. It's hard to argue with that. So, anyways, that's just some context. It's worth the read for of his stuff about this for any of his distance and traveling stuff. But we have got some super chats here, Aziz. Okay. Above fate and legacy. From Marvin Martin, I recommend the Fable of the Dragon Tyrant. I assume that is a story. I've never heard of that one, but that sounds cool. Uh, also from Carrie Neves, sailing west of Westeros seems similar to trying to sail uninvited to Tolkien's Amman. Yeah, the 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 lot of their characters sailing west uh, to the it's basically to join the gods in 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 Lord of the Rings, which is uh, I'm kind of mix simplifying, but yeah, there's this kind of endless west where uh, the mystery lies, but it's also maybe the the lost realm of I think, is it Valinor um, where the elves uh, kind of all migrated to after they left the realms of men. Okay, so a couple other things. Uh, fun question we got here with regards to the uh, the eggs and with her. Uh, if Corlys saw, not the eggs, sorry, but Corlys seeing her in Ashai or seeing her ship, if Corlys saw the ship and she was kind of his hero, you got to figure he may have tried to find her. I mean, yeah. he may have looked around, tried doesn't, to like... I mean, doesn't, he say, doesn't it say as much that he, he could not find the owner? I don't think it says that. I thought it did. I'll look it up while you're talking. I um, thought it did say that he like wanted, could not find the owner of it. Yeah, it, that would be interesting. And you'd think he would definitely look. But but Ashai is so vast and so yeah. empty. You can't just like wander around and be like, hey, did you see I mean, whose ship just, you just that stay, was? You just stay at the ship. You just, stay you just the wait there. For, wait there forever. I don't know. That, that's my only guess on how to do that. But yeah. Well, LML, what do you think about this? This uh, this question. I think it's a good question. Like, what maybe could have come from this, or what do you think Corliss might have done, or why we don't know more? Yeah, no, I, I'd say it's pretty hard to get information there. In all likelihood, um, he must not have. I mean, the, the real answer is George didn't want to give us any more information. So, <laughs> you know, you can fill in the blanks however you want to. Yeah, um, that, that makes sense I, too. I did find some Eustace goodness, though. Oh, um, I said he was going to be a last hero guy, right? You did. So um, you mentioned all the people dying on his his ship or watching his his companions die or whatever. Yeah, that was the thing that set me off. But uh, check this out here. A little bit later, there came a disease called the shivers, mm-hmm. and it came to Old Town. The great port city of Old Town was especially hard hit, losing a quarter of its population. Eustace Hightower, who had returned alive from Alice Westhill's ill-fated voyage across the Sunset Sea, survived once again, but his wife and children were not as fortunate, nor was his grandsire, Lord of the Hightower. Donald the Delayer could not delay death. He died shivering. So did the High Septon. On and on and on. So you kind of think of the last hero, like his companions all died when they were north searching, you know, fighting the others or searching for the children of the forest or whatever. So here's this guy, Eustace, and all his family is dying from the shivers. So that might be something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that, that's definitely a, that's definitely a, a good catch. Also, yeah, I, I mean, wonder I if you keep looking, but it's kind of crazy that he survived, given how much weakened his body probably was. He probably took some permanent damage. But on the other hand, he may have just been may have toughened his immune system up or something. <laughs> Could just be random. Yeah, uh, Nina Friel says that maybe there the sh- the ship was completely abandoned. Maybe no one. Maybe that's the problem. Uh, maybe they did look. Maybe they did have people wait at the ship to see if anyone would come back to it, and no one ever did. Maybe they. Who are the ledger men of a shy that would just like have a ship in dock and no one owns it? You know, never looked into it. <laughs> they had to sell it to get food because food is so expensive in Ashai. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, well, um, unless there are more questions or more anything we missed, I think we're nearing the end here. Did you have any subtopics that we didn't get to, LML, that you wanted to bring up? Anything uh, that we missed? Uh, let's see here. Let go back over all this. So we talked about the Quay the Shy thing. Um, I mean, I think we hit it pretty good. Um, yeah. We talked about potentially, you know, maybe Arya or Asha Greyjoy, if there's going to be somebody that sails west in the future. We talked about crazy Stark tinfoil based on Brandon the Shipwright. We got the Selkies and the Far Winds and... I think it's been a pretty good time. What does the chat think? Is the, does the chat have uh, <laughs> any other last requests for something to talk I about that's I want to mention related? That just kind of tickled me. I, it's really dumb, but I, I still kind of got a kick out of it. I just thought it was funny that, you know, we have Corlys has his bastard sons, Adam and Alan, you know? And Alan is the other oh, yeah, this is a great one. one. Yeah. I just think it's nice that it's Alan, A-L-Y-N. And obviously, Coralise would have looked up to Alice Westhill. Anyways, it's very, like, I don't think it's a thing, but I still like it. I think it could be a thing. I like it. <laughs> I like, the, you know, oh, I like you know, that. Okay. I like that. That's really good, yeah. yeah Especially because she know, probably was, named them. Yeah, you or maybe Marilda did. Yeah, still. maybe she did. But, but I'm, she would she know that he was a big fan. She would have also loved Alice Westhill. You would think so. So anyways, I like that they went with her new pseudonym there. That's pretty cool. Chicksal and Rob has another idea for Sunchaser suggesting that it was found like that and someone just towed it to port. Like they didn't, yeah. there was no crew. It wasn't abandoned at Asha. It was found elsewhere, abandoned, <laughs> and someone just hauled it. That's a good theory. You never know. You yeah. can't, obviously we have no proof of any of these ideas, but that's, that absolutely fits. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah. So... Okay, Joe Magician says, says Corley's would have had a poster of Alyssa on his wall, yes. Yes. <laughs> on his Alice, his west, yeah. his west wall. Uh, <laughs> and Marvin Martin says, Naga is actually an ancient word for for dragon lizard, like people. Yeah, Nagas. There's Nagas all over um, yeah. architecture in the Far East. Yeah. Uh, Buddhist yep. architecture. Like that. What's yeah. that? Some, a lot of good Naga Yeah, Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're usually, they're, a lot of times they're wise. Uh Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and Marvin Martin, another good comment here. Speaking of Lovecraft, if you're on it, Danny, have a baby, they should name it Dagon the Conqueror. D A E. D-A-E. Of course, Dagon is. Uh, <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> that's totally. Good. <laughs> oh, that's really good. That's very good. Nice one, Marvin. Okay, so if you have uh, questions or comments uh, for us for future live streams, you want to um, reach us in any other way, you can always email us at westroshistory at gmail.com. We're at Westeros History on Twitter. Uh, please join our Facebook group as well. We have wonderful admins, uh, mods who... It's been really active in our Facebook group, honestly. Yeah. Really, uh, really good discussions there. Uh, we're approaching 1,400 people now and uh, a lot of good conversations starting. Fire and Blood discussions, season eight And if you're not on Facebook and don't really want to be on Facebook, I will mention that other podcasts like Not A Cast and stuff like that, they have their Facebook groups as well. So there's multiple reasons for That's you right. to join and just use the Facebook groups. So we'll be back. We'll be back. For not using Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll be back next week at the same time. So LML, please, uh, again, tell everybody where to find you. Give us your Twitter, your website, all that good stuff, and uh, restate Give your... us your home address. <laughs> your, um, yeah, your phone number. Where you'll be every day for the your next week. Your pants size. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and, and tell everybody, what again, what you're doing, what you've got coming up, and uh, all that. So you can find all of my stuff by the name Lucifer Means Lightbringer. That's the .com. That's the YouTube channel. 
Uh, the podcast, if you're looking for the podcast in iTunes or something, is... You cut out for a second. So we'll never know where to find <laughs> you. I'm just going to give it a second while you're... Uh, at least it didn't happen much during the stream. Yeah, it's anyway. nice timing. <laughs> you can find LML at Mythical Astronomy of Ice and Fire, and you can also find him at Between Two Werewoods. I'll just tell you right. for him because he's totally frozen. He has two channels these days. He has his live stream channel where that's Between Two Werewoods, and it's a great recurring show on Sundays. And uh, every every Sunday at 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific. And it's a lot of people refer to it as uh, Fandom Church, <laughs> where the myth heads meet. So uh, I just want to click on his frozen face here. Yeah, his oh, his internet is just now. gone. Well, anyway, hopefully. Uh, yeah. So he's. I know that he's got um, plenty of things coming up. So if we have, uh, you can scroll back to the beginning of the episode to hear all that again. He's got some stuff on Sarnor. He was saying. Yeah, as part of it. Uh, he just did the. Uh, we just did that episode on Sarnor Sunday. Sarnor is actually one of my favorite topics in all the series. Right. I yeah. Really yeah. Like Sarnor is really cool. It's really intriguing to some, me. Another excellent world building example yeah, by George. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, um, because we took so long today, I'm going to skip the end credits because uh, okay. we're so well, long gonna over. You are going to grab a cat while I, before I get this intro-outro going, right? Okay, cool. Spree's right there for you. I just I, I give the people what they want, and I know this is what they want deep down. It's okay. You can get it. I'm getting the intro-outro. We're going to say goodbye to you in a second. Oh, Jacob's a big, fat boy in his box. Here we go. Very good. Here, here's the new star of our show. The cat of black and white. Yeah, anyway. He's goodbye. been sleeping in this box the entire episode. It's, we've been going for about two hours and 35 minutes, and he's been here well, probably 30 minutes before, too. <laughs> he's like, I don't have to get going. But anyways. He okay. can have my seat. Well, on behalf, of, on behalf of LML, uh, Valar Reredis, my fellow Westorians, and I'm glad Ashea was able to join us today. Say goodbye, everybody. Fellow, we read us.